get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Um, obviously, we placed him on, on the IL. Um, we'll term it as uh, right elbow inflammation. I think in terms of, of next steps, there will be um, a second opinion. There'll also be um, some strategy on, on what the treatment plan will look like that, that is still hasn't been determined completely. And we'll let uh, the other doctors weigh in. And then, you know, ultimately then we'll have an idea of, of what this will look like in terms of timing and what will be, need to be done in the training room. So on Monday we came in and Alex, you were out, but we had Katie Wu filling in for you for the open of the show. And we talked about in that first hour with Tanner Hendrickson, you know, where's your level of concern at right now with Jordan Hicks and Tanner said seven, seven out of 10 was where his concern level was. And I, my reaction, I scoffed at it. It's like, wow. You're at a seven. BK fell over after one day of him not being available. You're at a seven already. Yeah, I'm at a 10. <laughs> he, he not only was not overreacting, he almost underreacted in some ways. That was John Mosellock yesterday pregame before the game that did not take place. Cardinals playing a doubleheader tonight. I'll be out there at the game. Jordan Hicks. Let the lose fly, what are you, everybody. What are you inviting people to come get autographs from you? If yeah. you want them, you know. Hey, no, I'm in, I, I, let me in section 450. Come say what's up. Let me say a shout out. If, if somebody goes and throws a beer on BK tonight, <laughs> I will buy you beer the next Cardinals game. No, just just no, doesn't no, say no. anything. I'll Are you buy, going hey, with Kara I'll, tonight? Yeah, it's going to okay. be me, Kara, her sister, right, just and do it her on sister's BK. boyfriend. Yeah, I was so going to say, so here's, we don't the, need that. so here's the offer. Just walk by. Don't say anything. Throw the beer on BK, <laughs> but make sure you don't hit Kara. Yeah, we don't need that. I'll be the one that clearly outkicks my coverage. All right. So Jordan Hicks. He's going to be on the IL. He's on the 10-day IL officially, and it sounds like it's going to be a little longer than just the 10 days. John Mosellock was talking yesterday as well about who's going to have to step up in his absence. Here's what he had to say. You know, I still feel like we have depth in our bullpen. Um, obviously, anytime you lose a, a key member, though, it, it it can add stress to, to that group. So... Um, you know, good news is right now our, our starting pitching has gone deeper in the games, and so we've been able to uh, mitigate that to some level. But this isn't great news for us today, but it's something that um, happens during a season, and uh, hopefully everybody will, will get through that. According to reports, it's looking like four to six weeks that you could be out without a, at a minimum 
without Jordan Hicks because of this issue. John Mozeliak said that it is not the same issue that it was previously that caused the Tommy John. It's a new injury. At least that's where they're at right now. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, let's update the concerno meter. One out of ten or one to ten. Where are you at with this Jordan Hicks injury? It's gotta be a ten. I mean, there's no other option to pick panic with this. I mean, you could sit here and say, oh, well, it might be nothing. That's fine, but we're getting such such vague answers from John Mozeliak and Mike Schilt that it doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies that, oh, well, this is just a rest period for Jordan Hicks, and, you know, this is just post him coming off of Tommy John. No, this is a little concerning when it's an elbow inflammation. And what, he's got the, he's going to be taking those the shots, basically, to We're try and... We're not sure yet what the treatment's going to be, but yeah, it could be that. Yeah. Look, this is concerning, and I'll, I hope that it doesn't go any further than four to six weeks. But if you're Jordan Hicks or if you're a Cardinals fan and you hear this, it doesn't sound like you're going to be seeing Jordan Hicks anytime soon for this team because, look, it, on top of the injury that they're not really too sure about, he's also a young guy. Like, it's not like this is a 32-year-old that you can say, oh, we'll give him four to six and he'll come back and just throw until his arm goes out. No, this is somebody that you need kind of for your future. So um, very concerning, at least for this season. But on top of that, I'm actually really intrigued to see what this bullpen looks like because they've told us that this is the deepest part of this team. Yeah, I'm with you. The concern for me, yeah, it was a seven. Now it's definitely a ten too, because this, like you said, the vague answers are the telling point for me. And the Cardinals always have been kind of iffy on their uh, injury updates. In it's fair previous. to be skeptical. Yeah, like Michaelis, for example, thought he was ready for opening day. Where's he at still? Well, it's uh, May. Well, they said opening day in June. That's what they meant. Or in the minors. Meant, yeah, he was he was going to be ready yeah. for a rehab assignment in the minors on their opening day, well, which which was the case. Past. My my bad, that's Mo. Past. My bad. Sorry, I misinterpreted. But yeah, I'm very concerned in the bullpen. The deepest part. I think the bullpen's going to be fine because I like what we've seen from some of those guys that we talked to talked about a little bit yesterday. A little bit of Helsley. I think he's been really good for the Cardinals. He's had one or two blowups. I like Cabrera. Hell, yesterday I compared him to a possible Andrew Miller of 2016. <laughs> Bold so, prediction, Cotton. Yeah, so I like what we've seen in the bullpen. Cody Whitley's also up right now with the team. I like his stuff. I think he can play in the bullpen. He could take some high-leverage situations. So, concerned with Hicks, very. The bullpen depth, I think it's going to be fine. So, here's where I'm at on this. And I mentioned this with Danny Mack. I'll be curious what you guys think of this as well. I am approaching this as if Jordan Hicks will not play for the Cardinals this year. Now, I don't know if he will or won't. He very well may be back in six weeks. That's totally in play. But through, from my perspective, I think it's better for me to start evaluating this team as if he's not going to be back with the club. And if he is, everything else is gravy. That's a cherry on top, right? You're happy with anything that Jordan Hicks gives you this year because I think they are going to be unbelievably cautious with him. They have already been that way. They put uh, Alex Reyes into the closer role because they wanted to be cautious. And it's been almost two years since his Tommy John. So now that there's a flare out flare up rather with his elbow, I think they're going to continue going down that path. So I'm not expecting anything moving forward, at least for this season out of Hicks. That means that Ryan Helsley is officially on the clock. He was already in some high leverage situations. Now you're going to see him, at least in my opinion, in that Jordan Hicks role where if the starter goes six and you need seven, eight, nine, it'll be Helsley, Gallegos, and Alex Reyes at the back end of the bullpen. Maybe there are other days where it goes uh, Cabrera, Gallegos, and... um, Cabrera. And then Reyes at the back end of the bullpen. But Brain it'll, it'll go back and forth between those two. One thing to keep in mind, 
Helsley's actually been a little better by the numbers so far this season Thank than you. Jordan Hicks. Okay, calm down over there, T-Bone. Put he, him in the circle. He has the same strikeout rate. He has a better ERA. He has a half of the walk rate that we've seen so far this year from Jordan Hicks. Now, the underlying numbers, they were in favor of Hicks over Helsley. But so far this year, if you're just going by the results, this isn't quite as big of a loss as we would expect it to be based on the reputation of Jordan Hicks. Well, T-Bone, you wanted him in the circle. Here's your shot. He's already in the circle. No, he's not. There, this, is a, this is a trio decision in the circle of trust, and he has not been entered. But here's his opportunity. He has been good. Nay, he has been great. Nay, how about that? That's old school English Ryan for you Helsley? there. Ryan Helsley. He's Great's, been great. Great's Man, a little really aggressive. <laughs> hey, you go, you go he's back. Been and, solid. If you go back and look since April 10th, he's been great. Okay. Up to April 10th, he's been the opposite of great. That's fair. So which Ryan Helsley are we going to get? That's my question, and that's the evaluation. Because if we get this Ryan Helsley, then yeah, I'm not even thinking about Jordan Hicks because he provides you that seventh inning arm. You know you got the eighth and ninth locked down. It's in that middle, and you have players who can do that for you right now. Spider-Man's favorite weapon, Tyler Webb, and then you got Henesis Cabrera, and then, of course, Ryan Helsley. Ryan Hels- Those are the names that I was looking for. Well, you notice how <laughs> I did. Blank on those. You notice how I didn't say Andrew Miller. Um, those, it's a blister. Those are the <laughs> toe blister. Those are the guys I'm watching. More so than anything, Ryan Helsley, because I'm not concerned about the other two. If we get the Helsley that can go strikeout after strikeout after strikeout and give you one and two thirds innings, that's great. If you get the Ryan Helsley who gave up five runs in one and two thirds innings in two games where he had five walks, not so great. So which one are you going to give us? And here's the other question that I think comes to the forefront is what does this mean for Alex Reyes? Not just for the rest of this season, but moving forward, John Mosaylock yesterday pregame for the game that didn't happen was asked about what he's seen so far this year from Reyes. Pitch efficiency is something that we we still would would encourage, you know, as he's evolving into this role and 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 taking it, it's it's fun to watch because um, obviously when you look at what's coming out of that hand is is really elite stuff, and so obviously you can envision someone having a lot of success in that role, and and for someone that's had the career path he's had, I think everybody's just happy for him. Based on his workload so far, Alex Reyes is on pace for just under 80 innings this season. Guys, I think this officially locks him into that closer role all season long, unless he ends up blowing some games and then maybe Gallegos takes over, but I'm pretty sure at this point you're going to see Alex Reyes as the designated closer for the remainder of the year, barring some sort of injury. And I do wonder what that means for his future next year. I'm starting to shift into this man is officially a closer. Like I'm, this gives me all the Trevor Rosenthal feels of how he looks like when he's in the minors, he could be a starter. Now, look, I know Trevor Rosenthal wasn't as highly touted as Alex Reyes was, but Trevor Rosenthal was a guy that they thought could be a starter. And then he became the bullpen arm and then he was throwing heat and he was like, okay, well, he's our closer. That's Alex Reyes now. And now with the injury to Jordan Hicks, where you basically don't know what this guy's future is going to be. In my opinion, Alex Reyes is the closer for the here and for the future because you have so many guys that you can utilize in the in the rotation. And you can always add when it comes to starting pitchers through free agency or trades. 
Cardinals don't have good track record or history when when it comes to giving money to free agent relievers. So I think you'd rather build from within. So for me, Alex Reyes is now trending towards everyday closer for his career in St. Louis. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's going to be a closer, if not at least a bullpen arm. I don't I don't think we're going to see Alex Reyes become a starter here in St. Louis. And I was starting to think that before the six injury popped up. I think I said when the season started, by the end of May, we'll know what Alex Reyes' role will be going forward. He's been he's locked everything down in the ninth inning. He's looked at times shaky which makes me also add to the reason of keeping him as the closer because you can't have him walking guys at the rate he does as a starter. So, yeah, I think Rays is the closer for now and going forward. Yeah, the thing that I heard there from Mo, the pitch efficiency, that's going to be a bigger issue when he becomes a starter, if he becomes a starter, than it is as a bullpen arm. And so I thought at some point we were going to see Hicks rotate shift into that closer role and you would see Alex Reyes go into a role more similar to what we're seeing right now from Cabrera you just do it from the right side as opposed to the left and so you'd see him go multiple innings two innings here maybe three innings every once in a while and that would get him up in terms of the innings for the course of the season I don't think that's the case anymore I think he's going to be right around that 70 to 80 innings mark this season and I do think going into next year the expectation for me is going to be that Alex Ray is going to be in the bullpen for the Cardinals again. I don't like it. I wish he could be a starter for this team. Maybe they'll give him a chance going into camp to stretch out because it's easier to go back into a relief role than it is to stretch out to be a starter. But I think moving forward, I'm going to start viewing Alex Reyes for this team as a reliever as opposed to as a starter. For better or worse, I think that's the, the way that we're trending here with Alex Reyes. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, today we are celebrating our teammate Chris Duncan. He would have turned 40 today. And in celebration of Dunk's birthday, we have brought back the Dunctionary t-shirt for a limited time. Now through Friday, May 21st. So you've got a little less than three weeks now. You can order this year's limited edition Dunctionary t-shirt. All proceeds from sales go to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Huge thanks to CarStar, your auto body repair experts, for support this year's Dunctionary t-shirt campaign. Order yours now at 101ESPN.com. Speaking of Dunk, we'll talk to his former teammate Ryan Ludwig coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Alex Ferrario asked me a really interesting question the other day. Hey, how do the how do the Blues get the most out of Vladimir Tarasenko? And could that mean a move down to the fourth line? Talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. talk about Vladimir Tarasenko where you should move him what line makes the most sense for him we can still get into that for the future Alex what happened for the here and now there's not a whole lot that matters in terms of where he goes in the lineup because he will not be in the lineup tonight according to Jeremy Rutherford of the athletic Vladimir Tarasenko has re-aggravated his lower body injury he is going to be out for the game tonight game you will hear by the way right here on 101 ESPN Blues versus Ducks with pregame Alex Ferrario has that for you coming up at six o'clock looks like Vladdy's going to be out for this one there is no expectation that Krug or Dunn are going to play tonight both of them are day to day Sammy Blay was not a part of the rush lines today so he is expected to be out tonight as well so lots of guys out of the lineup good thing we're healthy moving forward Alex because the Blues are going to make the playoffs, and it's a question of win, not if. Moving forward, how do you 
best utilize Vladimir Tarasenko? Because he's going to be back, I would imagine, at some point. And when he is, where do you put him to get the most out of him? That was a conversation you had with Joey Vitale and Chris Kerber on the postgame show the other night. Here's something that Joey Vitale and the guys were talking about. You got Vladdy this healthy. You have to put him in the top six somewhere, right? Now, to me right now, okay, I think. Do you? I mean, I think you have to. Like, why? If, you, if you're talking. Well, maybe you don't. If this third line is as good as it's been, you're not breaking up that third line. So you're going to put Vladimir Tarasenko on the fourth line? Like, th- this third line is untouchable right now. I mean, I would say this third line is more untouchable than Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron's line with Braden Shen. He's right. There's two lines that I'm not touching right now. It's Shen O'Reilly and Perron because that is my shutdown line. Not only can they score goals, but they eliminate the opposition. And we saw that against Colorado when we saw that against Minnesota. I'm definitely not touching the Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and Mike Hoffman line because that's a line that I think other teams are going to have to focus more on. So I'm looking at the fourth line and I'm looking at the second line. For me... And Curbs, I love the Curbs question to Joey because I don't know if you have to put Tarasenko on that second line right now. Sammy Blay has been a goal scorer when he jumped into that spot. Those games that that Vladimir Tarasenko didn't play against the Minnesota Wild, he had two goals on that line with Schwartz and Bozak. If you go back and look at Sammy Blay's last six games, he's got two goals and an assist. I can promise you that's not playing on the fourth line for Sammy Blay. That's playing up in the lineup. Vladimir Tarasenko, yes, he has been okay this season since his return. And now I don't know if this is Vladimir, which it obviously is, him dealing with injuries still or just kind of not 100%, not in terms of his shoulder, but other areas that have kind of fatigued him. And rightfully so, the guy has been out for a long period of time. But he's only got one goal in his last five games, and that goal came on the power play. So Vladdy is very useful on the power play if he's willing to buy into Craig Berube and being that net front presence. But if I'm Craig Berube, and I know Sammy Blay has worked well with Jaden Schwartz and Tyler Bozak, and again, it doesn't matter tonight because they're not available for you, so you can't look at this, but I'm really considering putting Vladimir down on that fourth line because your fourth line has not had an identity this season. And I truly believe you got to have four lines if you want to have success in the playoffs. So I'm looking at one mainstay on that fourth line, and it's Ivan Barbashev. Barbashev has been awesome there this season, and Barbashev is a fourth-line center for you. He can play wherever you need him to. I don't know what Clint Costin's role is going to be if he's available to play and if he strikes Craig Berube's interest. The expectation was he would be back yesterday, right? Do we have any update on no, that? So, but, so he didn't skate today, obviously, because he, he was here yesterday, which I he do believe he's here. Return. Yes, but it's quarantine. Now, they haven't stated how long he's quarantining for. Now, I know Craig Berube is probably having his media uh, Zoom availability right now, so we'll probably find that out shortly. But if Clem Costin is able to play in those last couple of games and he impresses Craig Berube, go ahead. One quick update, according to this literally just came out from it. Luke Korak. Berube said he believes that Costin arrives today, but he isn't 100% sure on that. Okay, so, so might still be up update. in the air with this. So you might not have him, but what I'm looking at right now is finding a way to get the fourth line to have some production and also to continue the success on the second line. You've gone 24 games with that fourth line that has gone with different people. You have two goals from that fourth line. Wow. And one of those goals is from the defenseman. It was Jake Wallman's goal, and the fourth line assisted on it. you got to have somebody on the fourth line. So for me, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying I might shift Vladimir Tarasenko down. And look, you're going to have to put your egos aside because I don't know if Vladdy's going to be on board with this. But if Craig Berube can sell this to him as like, look, you're going to get the same amount of ice time as these other guys, 
if you're good on the ice because you're a fourth line that can score. Tarasenko with Barbashev, and then you put a left winger there. Could be Clifford. Could be McEachern. Costin. Could be Costin. I like the idea of a Russian fourth line. Costin, Barbie, Vladdy is a really interesting possibility. Because they're physical. They have speed. I think Vladdy and Barbashev mesh well together. It's something I would look into because the fact that Blay is successful in the second line, then you can get an identity for your fourth line. Now you have four lines that you can roll out. So here's what that would look like. At least according to me, I would have Sanford out in this situation. It would be Shin, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron. That's your top line. Nobody's touching that. Schwartz, Bozak, and Blay would be your second line in this scenario. Hoffman, Thomas, and Kairou is still your third line. And then you would have Kostin, Barbashev, and Vladdy on that fourth line. I like it. I think you now have an identity for all four lines. Now, they're different. You've got a shutdown line. You've got a scoring line. You've got Schwartz, Bozak, Blay, which is kind of like your responsible line, I guess, in a lot of ways. And then Costin, Barbie, Vladdy. That is a very different fourth line than what most teams are rolling out there. And in a lot of ways, it actually kind of looks more like the 2019 version of the St. Louis Blues, where you do have four lines that... I mean, you could call any of these your first, second, third, fourth, however you want to label them, you can. And maybe it's tough to sell that to Vladdy because, I mean, it's pretty clear that based on the centers, you're on the quote-unquote fourth line. But I think the way that you sell it is what you said, Alex. Hey, listen, technically you're fourth line, yeah, but you could end up with the second or third most minutes depending on how your line performs in any individual game especially in the postseason yeah and look the, the hardest part is going to have to get Vladdy to buy into this because I don't even know if he would be willing to do something like this it's about accepting a role but if you go back and look at that cup run in the fourth line go look at the ice time for Steen Sundquist and Barbashev it's about as similar as the top line in those games because they were useful for Craig Berube now again I don't know if that's how this is going to work. And, you know, you might have a little defensive liability there of a fourth line if Kostin, the young player, and Vladimir Tarasenko, who is more of an offensive-minded player. But I'm thinking of matchups here. And I'm thinking if you're going up against, like, let's say your opponent is the Vegas Golden Knights, and you got Ryan Reeves and William Carrier and Tomas Nosek going on the ice, and you have the ability to throw Vladimir Tarasenko, Ivan Barbashev, and whomever is on that third li- or the fourth line with them, Imagine that matchup because I don't know how much defense those guys can play against a line like that with Barbashev and Tarasenko. Again, maybe this is just kind of an outlandish idea, more than likely is, but you have to have fourth line that has an identity that scores more than two goals in 24 games if you want to have success in the postseason. Yeah, you've got two issues right now that you have to solve. One is the Vladimir Tarasenko issue. He just hasn't been himself. Uh, since his return. Let's let's be honest. We can all look at the numbers. We can watch the games. We can see it. it. For whatever reason, whether it's health-oriented or if it's something else, he doesn't look like himself yet. I think he'll get there, but just hasn't yet. You also have a fourth-line issue that you've brought up, Alex, where you're not getting scoring production from that fourth line, and there are games, like entire third period, those guys going out on the ice. That's not sustainable over the long haul. So in one fell swoop, you may be able to solve both issues by putting him on a line where he is better able to assert himself. And that's what we're talking about here. Will it happen? My guess would be no. But it is something that I would imagine they're at least talking about right now of if we did this, what would it look like? So we'll see tonight Blues versus Ducks. If there's a chance that the Blues could officially clinch a playoff spot tonight. Pre-game coverage for this one begins at 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario. It's 11.30. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next...
Again, today would have been our buddy Chris Duncan, his 40th birthday. We are remembering Dunk today and celebrating his life. We do so next with former Cardinals outfielder, his former teammate, Ryan Ludwick, right here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed it earlier, we are celebrating the life of Chris Duncan here on 101 ESPN throughout the day today. Today would have been his 40th birthday, and we continue doing so with his former teammate Ryan Ludwig. He's joining us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Ryan, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? BK Alex, what's up, man? I'm doing great, man. I just want to say thanks for what you guys are doing today, man. This is uh this is a pretty cool deal you're doing for uh for dunk no it's awesome man we always enjoy doing it he was a teammate of ours i know he was a teammate of yours and uh we we miss the guy every single day uh luddy when when you think of dunk though what what is the first thing that comes to mind for you because i i remember i mean i was listening to the morning show today and they were talking about it as well it's just the smile the facial expressions that he had the laugh it, it all comes to mind but for you what is it that immediately jumps to mind I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because I was thinking about it, and there's four words that really came to my mind when I when I when it comes to describing Chris for me. And one is, you know, he was vulnerable. He was always vulnerable. You know, like he was never afraid to um, make fun of make fun of himself to make other people laugh. You know, and um, obviously another word that comes into place is funny, right? And and that's what I just was talking about there. And the faces i got faces written down and um ultimately i mean he was just a great teammate you know he was uh one of those guys that uh you know in the clubhouse it didn't matter um about how well he was doing now don't get me wrong he really wanted to perform and you know he wanted to be the best big leaguer he could possibly be but at the end of the day um a team win was the most important team and, uh, he was one of those guys you know those clubhouse guys that that kept it loose and 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 made it fun uh, Ryan, I- I'm curious. I want to follow up on that faces comment because I, I never had the pleasure to work with Dunk. I-, I only was able to listen to him on the radio, and I was a huge fan. And, of course, he passed before I got here at 101 ESPN. Tell me a little bit more about what comes to mind when you wrote down the word faces with Chris Duncan. Just a goofy bastard, you know? Like, <laughs> just, I mean, I mean. It's the perfect it's, way to phrase it. It, it, it really it, is. Yeah, I mean, it just, just, just a goofball, you know? Um Kind of like the class clown, you know. You'd be out there and and in left field uh, during batting practice, and you know you're trying to work on fly balls, and he'd run in front of you and yell out a word and make a funny face at you, and he'd just be like, "Dude, what? Like, come on, Doug, what are you doing, man?" And he'd just make you laugh. It was constant laughter. You know, Ryan, I would imagine that that's part of the reason why that team was so successful. When you have a guy like Chris Duncan, I mean, I've talked with baseball players before and they always talk about the grind of a season. And, you know, you go through the dog days of the summer, you got to have guys that keep clubhouses light. And it sounds like Chris Duncan was the ultimate guy to have in that clubhouse. 100%, 100%. You know, and I think a lot of it, um, it, you know, it's, it, it goes to his background with his brother, you know, they grew up in a clubhouse and, you know, they had a dad that, you know, was in the game for a really long time. And, and um, they just, uh, for them, it was, you know, for, for a lot of guys who come up and, and get to the show, it's, it's, it's like, holy cow, like, I'm in the show. And for them, I feel like it was because they were always around it. It was just life, you know, and, and, 
and there was no pressure and, and it was fun. And, and they were, they, they were, they, they were both really good at, you know, I never played with his brother Shelly, but I've heard a lot of stories about him. They were both really good at just like keeping it light because that's what they were used to. And, and yeah, 100%, like huge, huge value to that team. We're talking to Ryan Ludwig, former Cardinals outfielder, and Chris Duncan's teammate. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Ryan, one of the words that you used to describe him was vulnerable, and I think that's a great one as well. He used to talk all the time on the air about his adventures in the outfield and how he, he was not trained as an outfielder. He was a first baseman, but when you play for the Cardinals in the early 2000s, well, Albert Pujols plays first base, so you're not going to be playing first base. And a little while ago, about an hour ago, we were talking with um, Aaron Myers. And he said he he remembered a story from the 2006 World Series where the night before a game, uh, Dunk was in his uh, in his hotel and they were watching some some of the highlights and the Buckner play came across the screen and (laughs) Dunk looked over at Aaron Miles and said, turn it off. We're going home. I don't want to watch that because he was thinking of himself in the outfield. When you think back to Dunk play in the outfield, are there any stories like that that come to mind to you that uh, kind of show that vulnerability that he always had? Yeah, he used to always talk about, I mean, you know, the Blues might have been smarter drafting than the Cardinals because he used to always talk about how he'd be on skates in the outfield. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, I mean, he was always a wreck out there. He's always a nervous wreck and, you know, um, talking about how he's on ice skates and he'd always talk about his routes and, um you know, the big crowds and, 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 you know, he, you could totally see him being like that Conseco guy where he took one off the head and go, went over the fence, even though it never happened. But yeah, he was always, he was always a wreck out there. It was pretty funny. Ryan, I'm curious because a lot of fans that are listening, know Chris Duncan, his post playing career here on 101 ESPN as the show host with Anthony Stalter. When he was a player, did you look at Chris Duncan and say, Oh yeah, this guy's going to be them in the media at some point in his post playing career? Well, um, I, I no, to be honest, I didn't. Um, now can I see it happening, you know, after the fact 100% because, He's one of those guys, um, like you, you, you talk about clubhouse guys, right? Like yeah. he was, he was that guy on the team that could probably tell a story better than anyone else on that team. You know, um, some people just have a knack for, for being able to, um, make stories a little bit more vivid and a little bit more funny and, and, and perk someone's ear up or get someone's attention. And that was Chris. Like when, when he was talking and he was telling a story, everyone was listening and, um, you know, when you guys are on the radio, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's why you're on the radio. You guys are good at what you do. People want to listen. So, yeah, I mean, it goes hand in hand, in, in my opinion. And, you know, he did a great job over there, and it doesn't surprise me at all. Ryan, I wanted to, one, one follow-up question for you on Dunk. And we, we always talk about the character that he was and how vulnerable, as you said, that he was. He was also a heck of a baseball player, man. I mean, you look back at his 07 season in particular, uh, 21 homers, 70 RBI. He had a heck of a year that year. What was it like playing with him when he was at the peak of his performance, especially in that 07 season for you? But he was great in their run in 06 as well. Yeah, he uh, just, you know, just, I, I mean, you talk a lot of power. You know, he was a big dude. Dunk was what six foot. I want to say he was six four, six five. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't a small guy by any means. Um, and you know, he had that you know that big lefty, big lefty swing. You know, if he if he was you know hitting the ball to the pull side, he was hitting it a long way. And uh, 
Yeah, I think anyone, obviously, um, you, you talk about it, and, and I talk about this with my son a lot. Like, it's an elite group. I mean, less than 20,000 people, you think about, you know, since the history of baseball, it, it, it it's a small group. And, and to get there um, and play there, let alone one day, you know, you get there and you play there for five years, and those guys, you know, the, the pool hosts and the, and the, you know, the Barry Bonds and the, the I don't know, the – I'm – Yadier Molinas and the Adam Wainwrights, these guys that do it for 15, 20 years, you know, that's just, that's, uh, it's incredible. But yeah, Dunk was a great player and, and to do what he did, um, that's tough to do too, right? Like you're not, you're not an outfielder and to make that transition at, you know, the elite level, the highest level in, in the world, um, it's tough to do, but he did it. You know, Ryan, you talked about how it was just kind of like a family mentality for those guys to be able, and they were around clubhouses 24-7. I'm curious, as a teammate, what was that like watching Chris Duncan play and having his dad with him on a daily basis for the Cardinals? Uh, it, it was, it was, it's an interesting dynamic, right? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine it. But um, I think I think for him, you know, at times it could have been uncomfortable. You know, I mean, I, I know for me, if my dad was coaching the team, you know, I wouldn't want any favoritism or anything, and that's the last thing Chris would want. But, you know, the story that – and I don't know if that people talk about it, but, you know, talking about that whole family deal and those guys growing up, the, the thing that really sticks out to me right now in my head is, you know, Chris would talk about him and Shelly, and I'm sure people have heard it on this radio before or you guys have heard it, but, you know, them growing up in Oakland, he was like, man, like we'd come in there and we were like little – little rugrats in the locker room and we'd have our wiffle ball and our wiffle ball bats and we'd be blasting balls off people's lockers and these players would be getting pissed off like Ricky Henderson or whoever it was, you know, would be all fired up because you got two little rugrats and they're running around. But like, that's just, I mean, that's, that's how they grew up. And, and, you know, I, I kind of envy that. I think it's kind of awesome. And, and, um, you know, for them to actually do that and get both get to the show um, with a dad being a coach in the show. I mean, that's, that's pretty rare. Talking to Ryan Ludwig here for just another couple of minutes on 101 ESPN. Ryan, I did want to ask you a little bit about your career, if you don't mind, because we, we were talking about this before you came on. I mean, you look back at that 08 season that you had, and uh, we talk, we have talked in St. Louis so much over the last few years, really, about that 100 RBI guy, right? It, they've been missing that. They haven't had one since Matt Holiday back in 2012. And so anytime we mention it, of course, your name comes up <laughs> because the only three guys in, for the Cardinals in the last 15 years that have had it at least 100 RBI, are Holiday, Pujols, and Ryan Ludwig. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you think back to 2006 and where you were and then h- how it kind of worked for you here in St. Louis and y- your career just takes off. What was that time like for you? H- how did things click for you once you got to St. Louis? Well, I think they always clicked. I mean, if you look back at my minor league, I mean, I had 100 RBIs my first full yeah. year in the minor leagues. I had 100 RBIs my second full year in the minor leagues. I had 100 RBIs the year before I came to the Cardinals, I think, in AAA, or right around 100. And I had 97 or whatever the year after 2008 and 2009. But, you know, just injuries, you know. I, mean, I think that's the one thing I look back at, at my career. I wish I wouldn't got hurt as much as I did. Um, you know, and, and I, the timing was right. I was ready. I just, you know got an opportunity and it happened to be, you know, I, I took advantage of the opportunity. You know, if Preston Wilson doesn't get hurt, you know, maybe I don't get that call up and, and none of this ever happens. And, and maybe I'm playing in Japan. You never know. So, you know, just, you know, I, you can't look back on too many things. I feel blessed um, to have that opportunity. Obviously I think I could have had a better career if I didn't get hurt as much. I mean, if I didn't have the seven surgeries I had over my career and the 
strained hammies and strained calves and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I think I attribute that to just playing the game hard. I think uh, that's the thing I really, really and, – and, and that's one thing I want to say about Dunk is that dude – um, that's what I loved about him, and I think why we got along so well is because every day we took the field, we were leaving it all out there no matter what, and he did that every single day, and he was a he was a tremendous player in that aspect. So, yeah, I mean, um, just a magical year. Love St. Louis. Um, pulling for the card still, even though I'm, you know, I was part of the organization. I'm not in it right now, but uh, love the organization, and it was, it was just a magic time, yeah. Ryan, I, I think I heard this about you. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm not mistaken, uh, from what I understand, you're a big fan of Dylan Carlson's game. Um, w- what do you see from him that has impressed you? And what is it about his game that you think? I mean, we've seen it this year at the big league level. It's really come together for him. Uh, what is it that makes him special out there? So you, you think about, like, the, the thing I saw when he came to our organization was um, – just, you know, coach's son, um, switch hitter, um, uh, swings from both sides of the plate differ a little bit, you know, um, but he's the same type of thing, right? Like, I fell in love with him because he reminds me of, like, a dunk, right? Like, the dude, the dude shows up to the ballpark every single day, ready to work, ready to grind it out. And, and I'll never forget, um, when I was working in the organization, he came in to the clubhouse one time. He was struggling, and... Uh, early in the season, it was around, I don't know, probably a month and a half into the season down there in Palm Beach, which, as you guys know, it's not the easiest place to hit. Um, and, and, you know, we had a nice long talk in the clubhouse, and, and you could just see the look in his eyes, and, and, and you knew the swing was going to work. You saw the athleticism, and it just took, it took him a little bit of time to, you know, you know, have that little breakout year and build some confidence, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's got superstar written all over him, and it's just a matter of, you know, continue to put in the work and the time and, and um, believe in himself. And if he does that, he's going to, I mean, the sky's the limit for that kid. That's awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for hopping on with us today, man. We always enjoy being able to talk with you, especially when it's about our friend, Chris Duncan. Uh, all the best to you and the family. And we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. All right, fellas. You guys have a great day. Thanks for having me on. And uh, once again, man, this is pretty cool what you guys are doing. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people out there thanking you for it. Absolutely. Thanks, man. We we appreciate you saying that. That's uh, Ryan Ludwig, former Cardinals outfielder, Chris Duncan's former teammate, joining us here on 101 ESPN. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are selling the Chris Duncan Dunctionary T-shirts once again. And uh, if you haven't got one yet, you got about two and a half weeks to do so. Check the full details on that out at 101ESPN.com. I know I'm I'm wearing mine today, my old one. We got the Chris Duncan CD16 on my front chest and uh if you have the last one like i do this one's different it's not the same shirt so you'll be able to get this one you can get a couple of them that you can wear throughout the week so check that out at 101espn.com 65780 is the air comfort service tax line questions and answers coming up next he's gonna be throwing frozen nuggets out there this is the pk and ferrario podcast now here's pk and ferrario the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh let's start with this one guys from the 314 guys let's be honest vladdy is unlikely to accept a role on the fourth line so if that is the case what do you do to get the most out of him on your second line 
there's not much you can do. Like, all you can do is tell him to be himself. Like, here's the thing with Vladdy on that second line. You're going to be getting the second best matchups against him, um, especially if you're on the road. So, I, I mean, look, Craig Berube has tried to unlock that kind of special ability from Vladdy by making him a net front presence, telling him that that's where the goals are going to come from. And Vladdy's a shooter. Shooters want to shoot. So there's going to have to be some type of buy-in from Vladdy on that second line to push a little bit harder and get more into that four check. He's on the perfect line to do it though. Cause I mean, Schwartz is a puck count. Tyler Bozek is a very smart centerman. Um, but if he's on the second line, I mean, just go from the goal production since he's been there. He hasn't had a lot of success other than on the power play. Yeah, I'm with you. It just comes down to Vladdy. Can Vladdy step it up and be the player that you expect? There, I don't think there's anything Craig Berube can do. No. I, he's tried every aspect of trying to light a fire under him, so it comes down to Vladimir Tarasenko and if he wants to be the player that we know he can be. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, is there anything that Johan Oviedo can do to prove that he deserves to be one of the five starters moving forward for the Cardinals? Yeah. Be lights out every time they go to him, and he's two for two in that aspect. I mean, every the two chances and the two starts he's had, he has been a perfect option for the Cardinals. So I would say that this is going to be another start for him today. We'll probably see one more in the 17 game stretch from Johan. So I would say in those two games, if he goes out there and I mean he's five or six innings where he's just dealing heat and keeping the up opposition down to one or two runs. In my opinion, then it's a battle between him and John Gant. And in the next two starts for both of those guys, it's going to be kind of viewed as, okay, which one of you wants it? Because now with Jordan Hicks, one of those two guys might be a bullpen option for you. Yeah, I'm with you. It's going to come down between him and Gant, especially when we get Michaelis back. I was about to say, that's going to be what's really interesting. The, the, the problem is, is I wish that they would just maybe move Michaelis to the bullpen, make him the long reliever, but they're not going to do no, that. No. And either Gant or Oviedo, if they get moved to the pen, they both belong up with a team. Gant, I don't even think you can option down because he's out of yeah, options. I would but, I would send Johan down to Memphis and just have him keep throwing see, as a starter. He's so he's so electric that if you if he were to take a role of a Helsley and come in for the sixth or seventh inning, be that one inning guy, and then you build him up next year, I'd be fine with that. And that was something Dan mentioned today on the Dame Exit with BK, and I thought it was interesting because I, I think you said it too, BK. Didn't really even think about moving him to the bullpen. I hadn't. The more I think about it, though, the more I feel like I'm I'm just not sure I love it. I like him as a starter, man. I think he's going to be in your rotation next year. And so if that is going to be the case for the Cardinals, if he's not in your major league rotation, I think he needs to be down in AAA. And I know that goes against everything inside of me. Like, I want these guys to contribute to the winning as soon as they can. Whenever they're one of your best players, they should be up and contributing. But Oviedo's a little different for me. I think that he should be in your rotation. I would go with him over John Gant in the rotation. And then when Michaelis gets back, you figure things out. Let's see what things look like at that point. But for the here and now, I would probably go with him over Gant. I'm not sure this team will do that, though. And Dan made a good point with us earlier today about this. Gant's a guy that's earned it. He he is the veteran. And so you defer to that. But I would prefer to go with the guy that I think is a little better that has certainly more upside, and that's Johan Oviedo over John Gant for me. Mike Schilt never defers to the veteran. He always plays the guy who's the hot glee. Right? And with, with Gant, he's like he's like what I said with Reyes, I think, yesterday. He's kind of like the ticking time bomb, because Whoa. with all the walks... Well, that could Why'd be you a, point up? I didn't point up. My hands are in my pockets, for a matter of fact. Yeah, I was a little concerned I, about that. He, uh... <laughs> 
he's like a ticking time bomb. He walks too many guys. I think in his last start, he went, what, four innings? He had five walks or something along those lines. So, yeah, that's a problem. But you cannot deny the flow. No, certainly yeah. can't deny you the can't flow. Deny uh, the flow. What's, what's the other cornrows. One when he's got yeah. cornrows, those look good for him. He, he and Carlos must have lockers next to each other in that clubhouse. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, I was watching First Take earlier today, and they had Richard Sherman on the show, and it came to the back of my mind. Is Richard Sherman a future Hall of Famer? What do you guys think about that possibility? Richard Sherman Hall of Fame. Boy, I have to look at the numbers. Um, I mean, I think so. So he's been one of the most elite cornerbacks in the game. And I'm thinking of another one who just went in. Didn't Charles, Charles Woodson was a cornerback, mm-hmm. right? Now he, yep. had, he had one Super Bowl. Um, now I don't know what the, you know, interception comparisons are with those two, but I mean, Sherman was in a Super Bowl. Actually, he was in three Super Bowls and he so won one. He Let's see here. Woodson was a nine-time Pro Bowler, an eight-time All-Pro, and he was named to the All-Decades team, which matters in the 2000s. Richard Sherman Three-time was Pro Bowl or All-Pro, sorry, five-time All-Pro or five, yeah, five-time All-Pro, first or second team, and five-time Pro Bowler for Sherman. So not quite as many in terms of the longevity, but there aren't a whole lot of great corners in today's game. Like, if I'm going through the last decade of the best corners in the league, Sherman, Patrick Peterson, Daryl Revis. Ramsey. Ramsey, although his is a shorter period, has been more recent. Those would probably be the guys that come to mind immediately for me. I say Patrick Peterson, he would be on that list as well. So, yeah, I think he's probably a future Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a first ballot guy, but I think he should get in. I think he's worthy. I I agree. And you look at him, too, and you know you mentioned longevity in every season but two. And he's played in 10 years, 10 seasons, it looks like. He's played in 14 or more games in eight of those 10. And and last year he was hurt. And then in 2017, the end of his Seahawks uh, career, he was hurt. So, yeah, I... the way he's been healthy, he he's, was one of the best lockdown corners in all of football. I'd say, yeah, he's a Hall of yeah. Famer. First ballot, maybe not, but yeah, I agree. He's a game changer. And in my opinion, the game changers are Hall of Fame players, and that's Richard Sherman. And he has been in his entire career. I mean, again, you look at just the longevity of his success with the Seahawks and then with the 49ers, uh, there's no mistake. Yeah, so I would say he, w- he would be one. And the other thing is, I, I don't know how much value this has, but it has value for me at least. When you are if not the most important part, one of the most important pieces to what was maybe the most dominant single unit in the league for a five-year stretch, which with the Legion of Boom, they went to multiple Super Bowls together and they were the driving force behind it. I think that deserves to give you a little bit of kudos as well. So I would I would definitely have them in my, in my Hall of Fame personally. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. They have looked like different players over the last five games. Is this the step we were waiting on them to take, or is there still another step to go? Talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Steele and Cairo tucks it in and scores. It's 3-3 right off the draw. And Jordan Cairo capitalizes on a Minnesota mistake. Far side to Thomas Todrag score. I don't need a breakaway. Give me some traffic, Thomas says. Slips it in for Thomas. Towards the goal. Thomas. Oh, score! 
What a goal by Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo look like different players uh, over their last five games. Robert the Thomas tank engine. Oh, yeah. I'll allow you to continue going with that. Cairo, two goals, four assists, and a plus two rating in his last five games. Thomas, two goals, two assists, and a plus two rating in his last five games as well. The kids are looking better, and Craig Berube has been impressed as well with what he's seen from those two. I think they feel comfortable playing with each other and uh, with Hoffman out there, and I think that line... You know, they just they feel comfortable together. I think that's a big thing, and they have confidence to make plays and jump the holes. And you know, they feed off each other well. So I thought they were excellent tonight. Um, you know, a big part of our win was was their line. Alex, we had seen early in the season Jordan Cairo having that breakout season that we've all been waiting for. Robert Thomas, it was an injury plagued season, so it's hard to judge him on a whole lot of it, but. I know you've been as excited about these two guys as anybody in St. Louis. Is this the step that you were hoping that you would be able to see them take this year? Yeah, uh, because you really need Robert Thomas to be a top two centerman for you. And I know he's not playing in the top two role because that's Tyler Bozak right now. But I kind of look at that third line as the second line for how they've been contributing to the offense. So this was I was more interested in the steps by Robert Thomas than Jordan Cairo because Cairo was still kind of raw and this has been a a pleasant surprise this season from him because I didn't expect him to be this offensively involved but Thomas is the one and look he has had a tough season with all of these injuries but you're starting to see shades of Robert Thomas's ability to be as lethal as he can be down the middle. And that comes with having weapons, right? Like we've talked so much about the chemistry that hasn't worked for him. Mike Hoffman, it was kind of odd. It wasn't really connecting with them. They really haven't even tried Vladimir Tarasenko on that line. He's had, it's been a revolving door for Robert Thomas until you put Jordan Cairo out there. And I really think they thrive off of each other because you have two guys who were dominant at the junior level. They played in, well, Kyrie played in the AHL. Thomas basically started in the NHL, but they both feed off of each other's games. Like Ruby says, you have the speed and the talent and the stick skills of Jordan Kyrou, And then you got Robert Thomas, who was just a puck hound, kind of like Jaden short. So yeah, this is the, this is the step that Doug Armstrong needed to see from these two to keep that championship window open. I just want to, I'm very interested to see what this looks like for them in the postseason. When, when the blues are, are in the playoffs and you've got Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou, and then Mike Hoffman as their thir- their other winger on that line, man, that, that is the potential to be really dangerous. And I, I say that word with emphasis, dangerous, because I don't know which way it's going to be dangerous. It could be a problem for the Blues. Defensively, it's not your best unit that's going to be out there. But offensively, I mean, we saw it early this season, Alex, and this was when Tanner was saying that he thought Jordan Cairo was going to finish the year with like 20-plus goals and he was going to be an all-star, all these different things. It hasn't MVP. been that. He went through a little bit of a lull. But Who said that? We saw we saw the outburst there. We saw the potential from him. And now I have been clamoring all year long when he's been healthy for Robert Thomas to be on a line with a guy that can take advantage of his playmaking skills. Because at least in my opinion, and I'm not the hockey guy, but it seems to me like when you have Robert Thomas out there and you've got uh, whether it be Barbashev or they've had other times where it's like Sonny and Blay, other guys that kind of in that uh, realm that have been with him. They're they're not offensively as dynamic as a guy like Jordan Cairo. And so you can't fully take advantage of what Robert Thomas brings to the table. And I think we're finally starting to see that now. I think we're finally starting to see this pairing 
can be something that they move into next season. You go into training camp. It's like, okay, we know Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron are going to be together. If Schwartz is back, we know Shin and Schwartz probably going to be something that we like to have together. And then Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, I think is a pairing that the Blues are going to be able to have moving forward. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think that's going to be an interesting kind of offseason addition if the what the Blues decide to do because Mike Hoffman isn't the power forward on that line. Mike Hoffman's the sniper, but what he does is he brings people's eyes to him because he's so lethal with his shot, right? Like you have to have a guy on him at all times, if not two guys on him, but then that's going to open up more opportunities. And the reason that they're so successful is because the defense jumps up into play with them. You get the defenseman that can jump into the rush and head to the net where those guys can create some offense in front of it. So yeah, those two pairings are going to be together. What I would like like to see is maybe a power forward a big body who can create some space on that line with those two um but look it's going to come down to matchups and that's where craig Bruby i think thrives as a head coach for this blues team he knows when to get a line out there whether it's the road or home games making sure you have the right matchups is where you're going to excel with these two guys but that only comes if your second and fourth line can be impactful as well because otherwise your top two are going to shut those two down and if the other two aren't scoring you're going to have some problems i'm glad you mentioned that because yesterday i was listening to the fast lane and joey vitale was on with the guys and he was talking about how in the playoffs when you look back at that third line that the blues had in 2019 that was all also the robert thomas line it was thomas bozak and um who was who was the third guy on that one pat maroon was the third third man and saying how that basically was the key to the blues going on that run do you feel like this line is also the key for the blues like we know what to expect from ryan o'reilly david perron braden shin we know what you're going to get out of that line we have a pretty good idea of second and fourth lines if they stay as currently constructed what that's going to give to you is this the one that's the x factor the swing line that can that can either help the blues go on a little bit of a run or will ultimately if they don't produce be one of the reasons why they don't move on in the playoffs? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think one of the biggest factors in terms of moving on in the playoffs is going to be the goaltending, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But my second would be that depth of scoring for this team. Let's go down the hypothetical road of the Blues matchup with the Avalanche in the first round. You know that that McKinnon-Landis got granted in line is going to be dangerous. I feel pretty comfortable putting Ryan O'Reilly and Perron and Shen against that line and finding a way to eliminate them at even strength. Your second line for Colorado has Nazem Kadri and Burakovsky. You put a Schwartz and a Bozak out there, you can match things up. Then it gets to the third line. Then it gets to the Brandon Saad and the Jonas Donskoy and whomever is going to be Comfort, Joyce, whoever that's going to look at. That's the matchup that the Blues can exploit. If those guys can get out there and take advantage, not be a liability defensively, that's going to be the biggest key because they cannot be a liability in the neutral zone, and they haven't been as of late. But if those guys can avoid that, and play the game that we saw them play against Minnesota and against the Ducks on Monday night, yeah, that can be a make or break for a playoff series because you're taking the best defensive lines away from other lines to focus on that one because if that line's dominating you, go to the Shark series. People had to focus in on the Shoreshenko line. Right, it's back, baby. Well, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. (laughs) They had to focus on that line because Tarasenko was dominating the San Jose Sharks. While they were doing that, then that's where other guys jump up into play. The same with the Stars, same with the Jets. So, yeah, to have success, that line's going to have to be a, uh, a, a 
at the top of their level, and I think they can because they can change a series. Blues versus Ducks tonight. By the way, it has been confirmed by the Anaheim Ducks that you are going to be able to see David Backus tonight in the lineup for Anaheim. So it's going to be a cool scene, I would imagine, out there for that pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 6 o'clock. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, I want to get your impression of the Tom Wilson situation. What did you think of it, and did you hear Jamie Rivers' comments about it yesterday? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes with Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. Coming up next, Bader and O'Neal. Are those two the key for the Cardinals? It's an interesting question. We'll give you our answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. getting my out it's gonna be with the slider and Bader launches one out to deep left field and his first of the year it's a three-run homer and it came on a slider how about that hanging with one three one pitch watched track does and Harrison Bader's looked good so far boys it's looking good out there in center field it's the hair actually looks pretty jacked so I don't know maybe he's been borrowing the dumbbells from Tyler <laughs> O'Neill because this dude looks like he's been hulking out a little bit let's, during that offseason let's be honest nobody can pick up the dumbbells that O'Neill's picking uh, up Bader looks like he's picked up a few here and there he might have like moved them from one place to another hey, I'm not sure he's like doing hey. Take it from experience, a guy who's been in the gym and literally just picks dumbbells up and puts them back. It works, apparently. It's what people tell me. (laughs) With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. So Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch does a weekly chat over there. And so you get a bunch of questions coming from Cardinals fans about the team. And there was one that stood out to me, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this. One of the questions was, true or false, Bader and O'Neal are the keys to the Cardinals in 2021 because, one, the overall team defense is significantly better with them out there in the outfield, and two, the best chance for a deeper lineup is with those two growing as hitters rather than counting on guys like Carpenter, Williams, or others who would otherwise have to fill in for them in the lineup. It's interesting. Alex, what do you think? True or false, Bader and O'Neill are the keys to the Cardinals in 2021. I don't know if they're the keys, so that might be a little bit of a stretch for me, but I can see them being important. I can see Tyler O'Neill being more of a key for me than Harrison Bader, and here's why. Tyler O'Neill's power makes that batting order deeper. Bader can hit or not Makes hit. It Bader, if you will. Okay, you just stole my dad joke, and that is not allowed here. I have Go ahead, copy, sorry. I have Tyler copyrighted O'Neal that. Deeper. Wait, what? Bader. That's Tyler O'Neill makes it deeper? Wait, come on now. The lineup. Tyler O'Neill provides power in that 5-6 hole. Bader, in my opinion, if he doesn't hit, he's still going to give you that defense, and I think you can still find a way to get around that. So as much as I'd like to say that both of them will be keys, I think the keys are the obvious ones. Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado. They were winning without those guys in the lineup and they'll win without them in the lineup again. Tyler O'Neill's more important for this team's success to me than Harrison Bader because of that power. 
I agree with you. And the only reason I think that this scenario is false because I agree with the part that the team is overall better defensively with Absolutely. Bader in the lineup. The one that I don't agree with is the the lineup is deeper. It is true with O'Neal, but I think that would be DeYoung instead. If Bader's not hitting, I don't think there's that big a drop off. Even when everybody, if everybody's struggling, like right now, you look at Goldie. Goldie's struggling. You look at DeYoung. He's struggling. No matter what Bader does to me, he doesn't stretch out the lineup because he's always going to hit seventh or eighth. So to me, that's where this is false. But yeah, I think there is some truth to this. The fact of the matter that Bader is back, and we've already seen the outfield defense become a lot better since his return, that's important, especially for the Cardinals pitching staff, who is really a contact pitching staff if you think about it. Jack Flaherty, in my mind, is the only guy that has strikeout stuff on this on this roster in terms of the rotation. I think that's fair, and I would say if we assume that everybody has career norms, right, going up and down the lineup, and then I could tell you, like, the two guys that are the key, if they outperform those norms, I would go DeYoung and O'Neal over Bader and O'Neal for me. Bader is a guy that, like, even at his peak performance, his peak is slightly above league average hitter. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a great defensive center fielder, and we, as you guys have both mentioned— We've seen the impacts that he can have when he's out there defensively. It changes the way that that outfield defense looks. It makes me so much more comfortable going into a game knowing he's out there defensively. But when you're looking at the lineup, I know what I'm getting this year out of Arenado and Goldie. I feel pretty good that I know what I'm getting out of Tommy Edmond on a day-in, day-out basis. Dylan Carlson has been a revelation this year. The guy is awesome, and he's going to be batting second for this team for years to come. The guys that I'm not sure about on a day-to-day basis are Tyler O'Neill and Paul DeYoung. So far, DeYoung has not been good for this team. He just hasn't. He's batting 186 right now. He has a 680 OPS. That's got to get better. We've seen him starting to hit the ball hard again, and I think he's going to go on a little bit of a tear here pretty soon. When that happens, watch out, because the rest of the lineup is going to look that much better when he does. And... Speaking of going on a tear, Tyler O'Neill, since his return to the lineup, has looked like a completely different hitter, and we're seeing the power and the speed. The speed is what he's showing this year that we did not see very much of a year ago. You saw the uh, the triple the other or the double the other day that he was able to leg out. You've seen him steal bags this year. Like that is the thing that stands out to me. So for me, no, I don't think it's Bader and O'Neill. I actually think it is O'Neill. But the second guy that I would throw into that conversation is Paul DeYoung, not Harrison Bader, that are the keys to this Cardinals team. Yeah, I, I Paul DeYoung is a, is a really interesting one because his defense is more valuable than his offense right now for the team, and the defense, defense has been, been iffy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, offense, I mean, they're still scoring runs. It's not like Tommy Edmond or Nolan Arenado where unless they get a hit, you're not winning any ball games. Paul DeYoung is kind of that in the middle piece right now that it seems if he's not hitting, then the next guy up starts a little bit of a rally there, which would be Tyler O'Neill. So Paul DeYoung, uh, Paul DeYoung, I'd be curious what the Cardinals would look like without him in the lineup in terms of how they would manage the same with Harrison Bader. And we've seen it this season. They've managed Tyler O'Neill is interesting though. I mean, if you look at his first game back, what was it? April 23rd, they've lost two games. And in the two games that they lost the one game, he went zero for three. Yeah. So, I mean, like as much as we talk about Arenado and Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill's bat and Tyler O'Neill's speed on the base paths, I think puts a little bit more second guessing on the pitcher who's on the mound when the guy gets on base rather than a guy like Harrison Bader, who it really seems like it's home run or nothing. Yeah. And that's what it's been so far for Bader. And you hope that you can get more out of him, but Again, for Bader in this lineup this year, 
it's it's not I'm not putting as much pressure on him at the plate. Just settle things down out there defensively. Make sure that your pitchers aren't having to throw extra pitches in any individual inning. Yeah. And if you can do that, you've done your job. And anything you give me at the plate is gravy. He is Kevin Kiermeyer for this team. One of the main reasons why the Rays were able to go to the World Series last year is because they had a great defensive center fielder. That helps them. That helps their pitching. It made everything else work for them. He was not a very good hitter. Kevin Kiermeyer has never been a good guy at the plate. That's probably what you're going to expect moving forward out of Harrison Bader. And that's all right. That's a guy that you can win with. You can win because of him in some ways. But the guy that we need to hone in on is the one that we've been talking about. It's Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. You're looking at the outfield, the X factor, the swing player, however you want to frame it. The guy that is the key to the team. It's Tyler O'Neill this year, not Harrison Bader, in my opinion. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. So the biggest story in the NHL over the last couple of days has been Tom Wilson. The NHL decided not to suspend him. It was just a $5,000 fine for what he did. He basically threw Artemi uh, uh, Panarin around like a rag doll. Did they make the right choice there? Was there something more that needed to be done? We'll talk about that, and we'll get Greg Wyshynski's thoughts on the Blues when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. this before the break the big news in the nhl over the last couple of days has been tom wilson and if you missed it basically what happened there is he threw around artemi panarin on monday Man night like a them. rag doll the nhl announced yesterday he's getting a five thousand dollar fine for the incident there has been an uproar among fans among media that this is ridiculous it should have been more than that there should have been a suspension that took place along with it and tom wilson certainly some of this is the reputation that he has had by the way the rangers since that incident have released a statement saying the nhl's head of player safety is quote unfit to continue his role which is quite the statement from an nhl team so with all of that as the backdrop, we now go out to the ES or the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by ESPN's NHL writer, Greg Wyshynski. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good. And you forgot the, the absolute poetry in that Ranger statement, which is that it was a horrifically violent incident or act or something uh, as well. It was as, as team statements go, it, it is an all-timer. You really must check it out oh, if you haven't seen it. On, the, on top of the fact that they're basically calling out the man, saying it was a horrific act of violence in a man who had plenty of horrific acts of violence in his NHL career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, like, when, when this thing happened on Monday, I've taken a lot of heat for it. But I, I said, you know, prepare for the overreaction to it. And, you know, when you have an NHL team... Uh, describing it as a hor- horrifically uh, violent act when you when you have an NHL team calling for the the head of a, of an of a NHL executive when you have people in, in in hockey real good fans in hockey looking at this incident and comparing it to the Todd Bertuzzi incident from you know 15 years ago where he paralyzed the guy like we're a little bit overboard on this I, I know Tom Wilson is is a hated figure and I know we're all waiting for the moment in which they can throw the book at him and drop the hammer and 
and suspend him for 60 games, but it's got to be for something that warrants it. And I, I just didn't feel like what happened on Monday even comes close to that level. So I'm so glad you brought up the reaction because I like full disclosure here. I saw the reaction first, then watched the video. And I think it's really important for people. Like when you go back and look at how you thought about this video, it, a lot of it is kind of based on what you saw first. Right. And so for me, I'm going into this and I'm like, Oh wow, this must've been like the worst thing that's ever happened on the ice. And then I watched the video, and again, that's my backdrop is the reaction. I'm like, yeah, it's bad. He probably should be suspended for this, at least for a few games. Um, But I don't know that it warrants quite the reaction that I've seen coming out from uh, the woodwork so far. And so that, that was kind of my initial response to it. Where are you at on this now, Greg? Like it, he should not be kicked out of the league. I think we can all at least agree on that. And I think we can also agree that $5,000 fine. And that being, it is probably a little bit on the light side of things, but where do you fall somewhere in between those? Yeah, and your initial response was the correct one. I mean, I think the the word the NHL used when I spoke to them yesterday was commonplace, and I do think that scrums around the net that that include glove punches to somebody's head are commonplace. I, I do think that wrestling matches, maybe not with the you know horrific uh, way that Panarin hit the ice, and and now he's you know injured for the next few games um, of the Ranger season, like, you know, th- that doesn't happen every night, but, but, you know, wrestling scrum matches do. We saw it in the Penguins Flyers yeah. game last night between Sidney Crosby and Travis Konechny. But my take on it, my, my take on it, on it is this, I don't think it's a suspendable offense because I think because it's Tom Wilson doesn't mean it needs to be a suspension because if it is a suspension, I don't think you can just say, well, it's Tom Wilson. It means that you think the act that was done rises to the level of a suspension. So when it's not Tom Wilson, when it's Chris Kreider, when it's, you know, David Perron, like when, when it's somebody else involved in an incident like that, you're going to have a very hard time saying, well, this was a special case because he's really bad. Um, the other thing, too, is that we, you mentioned the $5,000 fine, and it's become a, a joke amongst hockey fans that hmm. it's the maximum allowed under the CBA. You know, these guys carry around $5,000 in their change, you know, drawer in their car, like, it's not a big deal to them. And, it, and the reason it's five grand is because it's collectively bargained between the NHL and the NHLPA that that's the cap on fines. And so if the NHL sees an incident like this and says, all right, maybe it's not a suspension, but we do want to penalize the guy, all they can do is five grand. And, and, and I think it's contingent on the Players Association to remove the caps on those fines and give the NHL other recourse for types of plays like this, where the message gets across, like Tom Wilson loses 500 grand. It's a pretty good message, you know, even if it's not a suspended game. Um, so I, I feel like there needs to be a bit more uh, players are fond of saying, let us police the game. Let us police ourselves. Well, great. Well then give the NHL more ways in which they can penalize the repeat offenders because right now, a, they can't find them in a major way. And B, if they do give Tom Wilson 30 games, the NHLPA has the ability to appeal the suspension like they did on Wilson's 20-game one and knock it down uh, through arbitration. So, uh, you know, I I think people looked at this and said NHL should do X, Y, Z, not understanding how difficult it is based on the current system. 
Greg, I would be interested in your thoughts on Peros as the you know head of safety for the NHL because we've seen a couple of different incidents this season that have been tied to the Blues. The hit from Mark Stone on Tyler Bozak that gave him a concussion and he was out for a long period of time. No suspension there. And then earlier in the season, if people remember correctly, it was Sammy Blay that got suspended against the Colorado Avalanche and then basically the same play that happened to Bortuzzo didn't happen. And there's plenty of other NHL examples that I can come up with, but from your perspective how has Peros done at this job so far well you know I, I feel like you know I've been covering the player safety uh, department for a very long time going back to when Brendan Shanahan found it and, and I and I feel like you know the suspensions were pretty lengthy when it first started and, and maybe there was backlash from the teams or from the players association wherever it was coming from I feel like what should be maybe a, a four or five gamer is a two gamer these days and and I do agree with people that say that the, the suspensions aren't necessarily as emphatic as they should be. Um, so criticism of Peros is fine. I, I do find it interesting, though, that like um, a major criticism of him is that he used to be an enforcer in the league. And uh, a lot of people say, hey, you know, maybe turn player safety over not to the people that perpetrated the acts, but to the, the, the victims. You know, yeah. give, give the keys to a, a Paul Correa, for example, uh, to help try to legislate this stuff. I think that's a fair comment, but I do think that whether it was Brendan Shanahan or, or, or George Peros or some of the other people that have, uh, Chris Pronger was there for a while, that have been in that, in that job or around that job, I do think it's important to have kind of like, it's like hiring a thief to work on your security system. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> these are the guys that did the stuff. They know what the dirty tricks are. They understand the, the nuances of, of, of these violent acts. And I do think that that's an important thing to have in there to kind of differentiate sometimes between the stuff that's really, really bad and the stuff that may just be happening in the course of a hockey game. Greg Wyshynski is our guest. You can find his work over at ESPN.com. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. All right, Greg, I did want to also get your thoughts on the Blues because uh, I'll go ahead and give you kind of where I've been out on this team. I've been the guy that's been hesitant over the last month to buy into anything that I've seen on the ice because we had seen it before and it was like a three-game spurt and then it went back to what it was previously. I think I'm kind of in now on at least them being a playoff team, and it took me a while to get here. What's been your perspective over the last month or so, I guess now, of what's been a pretty impressive comeback for the Blues? Yeah, I mean, you look at their last uh, like half dozen games, and it's the offensive uptick that you really like. Um, you know, they're, they're playing. I, I think they're playing much better offensively than they had um, for a good stretch of the season. So that's a good thing entering the playoffs. And, you know, solidifying themselves as a playoff team, I think that's partially the, the Blues putting together a nice little string of, of, uh, of an undefeated streak recently, but also just <laughs> the, the inevitable collapse of the competition for that fourth spot. I mean, when we came into the season, uh, you, you were hard-pressed to find anybody that didn't think it wasn't going to be Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, and St. Louis in the playoffs. And, and that, of course, is how it's going to end up because, you know, Arizona didn't have the, the horses and, the Sharks were bad, and the Kings weren't all that good either. So it's kind of worked out the way that we thought it would. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, it is looking like, increasingly, it's going to be a Vegas-St. Louis first-round matchup, which, for obvious storyline reasons, is incredible <laughs> with the Petrangelo thing happening. Um, but it's also going to be a real black-and-blue series that, that may end up kind of favoring the Blues in the sense of what kind of hockey will be played in that series and, and what I think St. Louis excels at. 
Greg, you talked about the offense, and I'm curious on the two guys that a lot of people have been talking about as of late, and that's Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I mean, they have created this dynamic trio with Mike Hoffman of another funny portion of where a man who was thought to be traded away, and now he's <laughs> been an offensive weapon for the Blues. But watching Thomas and Cairo, are, are those kind of difference makers for you if the Blues do get into the playoffs? Oh, sure. I mean, Thomas I mean, has been tracking that way for, for a couple of years now, and I think he, he certainly actualized this year, and Kyrou has been a spark plug, uh, you know, throughout the season for them. The, the Hoffman thing's funny. I mean, like, obviously, he's, he's, he's gotten a little bit cold lately, but, but had a good stretch of maybe like seven or eight games where he was putting points on, uh, you know, points on the, on, on the score sheet. And it just goes to show that, you know, we all sat there and we're like, all right, what's Doug Armstrong going to do at the trade deadline? You know, is this team really uh, good enough to be a difference maker in the playoffs? Shouldn't he be trying to, you know, be an aggressive seller like he was in the past with Stasny and, and Shattenkirk and players like that. They hang on to Hoffman, and, and then they find something that kind of works with him. So, you know, it's 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 one of those moments where uh, they really could have changed the trajectory of the season, and maybe they did a good thing in, in hanging on to him at the trade deadline instead. Greg, I wanted to ask you about Ryan O'Reilly, and I, I don't even know what more we can say about the guy at this point, but he has never scored more than 30 goals in a season, and this year on an 82-game pace, and I know it's hard to do because we're not playing 82 games, but he would be on pace for 38 goals and nearly a point per game, and he's still one of the best defensive forwards that there is in the league. Uh, when you look around the league right now, and I know you kind of did your roundup for the awards the other day for some of the watch lists, is Ryan O'Reilly a guy that you think's going to get some mention in the Selkie Trophy uh, watch list once again? He, he should, because there's only like eight guys that ever do. <laughs> right? like that's, that's kind of the issue with that award. Is that, like, for, for other guys to break through, to, you know, there's a, you know, players like Emerson Eck on the, on the wild and Philip Deneau with the Montreal, Montreal Canadiens. Like there's a, there's a collection of really good defensive forwards that just never get any love because the conversation is dominated by, O'Reilly and Bergeron and Sasha Barkov and, and now Mark Stone, I think from Vegas is the guy that's always in that conversation as a winger. So he should very much get love. Um, I, I do wonder though, uh, with the awards and then, and then also kind of speaking to uh, O'Reilly's offensive accomplishments this season, you know, this is a season in which it's all intra-divisional schedules, right? It's all monolithic, um, you know, siloed off seasons for these teams. We're seeing McDavid tear apart, the Canadian teams en route to 100 points. Um, you know, O'Reilly is playing against a couple of very good defensive teams, but also uh, some teams uh, down at the bottom of the division that aren't very good. So it's going to be interesting to see how people evaluate not only the statistical accomplishment of these players, but, but also like their value for the awards, um, depending on you know, what competition they've seen exclusively this year. Uh, it's hard to really kind of fathom how good McDavid and Matthews are when they haven't seen you know, the top seven defensive teams in this league at all uh, throughout the season. One more from me, Greg, and it's a player whose name won't be in the, in the award conversations, but he's definitely turned it around, and that's Jordan Bennington. At the beginning of the year, this guy, it felt like he couldn't buy a victory for the Blues in the midst of those losing streaks. And then now, I think in his last six or seven games, he's 6-0-1. So Jordan Bennington seems to have turned things around. What's your view on him? Yeah, six zero one and feisty too. I mean, yeah. We all like a feisty of Jordan Bennington. Uh, he's our favorite Jordan Bennington. Uh, you know, he, he's one of the players that I am absolutely fascinated by with regard to the playoffs. I mean, we uh, we all saw what happened last year. Um, for whatever reason, uh, he he imploded. I mean, he was bad. He was the reason they were losing games last year, which is a jarring thing to see 
when we remember Jordan Bennington as, I mean, for my money, the reason they won the cup. Uh, so I, I'm really interested to see which version of him we get in the postseason because they're going to need him. I mean, I, I, I think any, any uh, series against Vegas will be competitive. Um, it'll be brutal. It'll be physical. It'll be you know, tightly played games. Um, but they're going to need him to steal a couple things because Vegas definitely has the ability to really turn on their offense when they're healthy. And, uh, and if he's up to the task, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility they could pull the upset, but if he's anywhere near what he was last season, I mean, oof, uh, it could be a short one against Vegas. Yeah, hopefully we don't see that. I know <laughs> that people here in St. Louis are rooting for that. Greg, we always appreciate the time, man. People can find your work over at ESPN.com. They should give you a follow on Twitter at your last name with Shinsky. Thanks so much as always, and hopefully we'll talk with you again here as we get closer to the playoffs. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Absolutely. Greg. That's Greg Wyshynski joining us here on 101 ESPN. When you look at the the Selkie Trophy watch lists, and he mentioned he's right. There's like eight guys that are are a part of that conversation every year. What do you think needs to be done by Ryan O'Reilly down the stretch? Is there anything he can do to kind of establish himself as being one of the uh, two or three top candidates for that? Right now, I think he is probably top three, if not four. I okay. think I think it's Stone, Bergeron, Barkov, and O'Reilly. If 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 I were to look at it and say what can Ryan O'Reilly do, you know, one is going to be the plus minus, and I know it's such a a weird stat for some people but he's sitting at a plus 21 and if you look at the guys who I mentioned that are ahead of him in that conversation Mark Stone for the Golden Knights is a plus 25 and Bergeron and Barkov actually aren't up there so that's good for Ryan O'Reilly I think it's going to come down to points more than anything because as much as it's the defensive brand of hockey they always go to who had more points it's the same as the MVP the Norris Trophy you know the Vezina when it comes to shutouts who had more points. So if Ryan O'Reilly continues this pace and he's pretty close to where Mark Stone is at, I can see him being top three, if not winning that trophy one more time, but it's going to come down to what he does in these final six games of the season. For what it's worth, Marshand is at 63 points on the year so far this year. Ryan O'Reilly at 49. He's had a hell of a year, just not the points wise. He's not quite. Well, Marshand will get it. It'll be Bergeron. You think it'll be Bergeron? It'll be Bergeron that gets it because he's gotten it in the past. But Marshawn, looking at it. But Marshawn gets those points because of Bergeron Correct. because he's on the line with Pasternak as well. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. The junk drawer is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, my turn to dive into the junk drawer today, guys. I got really happy about that. I've been waiting on this story been for a few days now. Oh, you've been sitting on it? I've been sitting on this story. So McDonald's, we all know, if you try to go in to get their lunch at a certain time, you ain't getting it. It's breakfast and then it stops. Oh, yeah. And then it goes over to the lunch, right? Or sometimes you're going in, or at least previously, I think they've got breakfast all day now, right? Previously, it was you got until like 11 o'clock. And once it hits, if you're there at 11.05, too bad. You ain't getting that hash brown that you wanted. Well, this gentleman learned that lesson the hard way. A man in England has been jailed for robbing a McDonald's and making off with not only cash afterwards, Alex. Chicken McNuggets. He also got some food. Now, that is what he wanted. He told them, hey, give me all your cash and give me some chicken McNuggets for my time that I've been here. 
Oh, sorry, sir. They're not ready right now. Unfortunately, <laughs> the McNuggets were not cooked yet because it was morning when he decided to stand up at McDonald's because what else do you do? It? What a laugh, to be honest. Well, that's <laughs> smart, though, because that's usually the elderly that are at McDonald's in the morning, so you don't have to worry about anybody going after you. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's I feel like a lot of, of kids are there in the mornings as well. I don't no. think so. Come on. Kids are in school by that time. I mean, I don't know. I doesn't say what day it was, so, but it might have been a weekend. I kind of speak from that as an experience, you know, the old guy in me. Yeah. But we had a breakfast club in high school when of we were doing. You did. Oh my god, you had a breakfast club in high school. When, when we, when I was taking seen that movie? pre-calc, I would say zero percent. When have I you seen a breakfast club? No. Uh, that sounds about right. When I was in you freak out, there were a couple of me and the guys that had the breakfast club. We would go to a donut shop and get donuts in the morning before a test. And one day the donut oh, so shop was closed. Really a club. You, you self-proclaimed no, no. you and your buddies who went and got donuts every morning. The well, breakfast you know, you club. You had to explain it to people. You call it a club. And we went to McDonald's one day and there was just a bunch of old people. Didn't see any kids. Makes sense, given the fact that you did it on a school day. Um, I don't know if this was a school day or not. I don't know how stuff works in England, frankly. Um, so do you rob a McDonald's like you rob a bank? Like, do you go in with a sheet of paper written down that you just slide it to the to the register and just say, uh, give me all your money and your chicken McNuggets? So according to the news outlet, this gentleman claimed he had a gun. He nice. demanded money from the register. He forced the manager to give him access to the store safe. And then on his way out, he asked for some chicken nuggets. They were not available. They did not have any prepared. So they said, you got to wait about five minutes. We'll put We'll throw them into the fryer right quick. Perfect but- time to get the cops there. <laughs> it ain't going to be ready for you. And so he said, nah, I'm good. Hold off on the nuggets. I'll take a McMuffin instead. Nice. That's a so good, that's a good second choice. He got a double sausage McMuffin instead. He, he ended up with $600 from the restaurant. He also ended up going Damn. to jail as a result. He got $600 from McDonald's in the morning. That's impressive. He got out six years in prison. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's that $600 ain't going to pay the bail to get you out of McDonald's. I just love that this guy had had the gall to uh, to go into this store. Yeah, go into the, this McDonald's, steal all their money, steal the $600. As you said, Alex, it's early in the morning. And somehow he went to the right one where they had a bunch of cash in the registers. And then when he's getting ready to go, you've done it. You have done the deed, right? You have you have accomplished what you set out to done do. Done the deed for the nuggets. He's like, you know what? I'm a little hungry. I'm gonna need some McNuggets. You know, you didn't even get fries. Like, how do you not get fries after you get the nuggets from McDonald's? Well, that's the thing. If you get the double sausage McMuffin, you you also have to get the hash brown, right? The hash brown's the best part of the McDonald's breakfast. I don't eat McDonald's breakfast. I would disagree. With it's nasty. That, but what would you go with from McDonald's? You a classic well, no, no, breakfast no, no. guy? I, no, I was just good. saying that I don't think the. Uh, what you might call it, hash brown is the best part of the breakfast. What's your go-to? I'd get the two sausage burritos. Two oh. sausage burritos. Yeah, the you like meal. destroying yeah. your colon, don't you, when you go to McDonald's? You don't need that thing. Uh, that's <laughs> Take it from somebody who has IBS. You kind of <laughs> need that thing. <laughs> Yikes. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next... Is a quick lick around baseball right now giving you a little more confidence in the Cardinals, Alex? Why are we licking baseball? It's cert- quick look. Oh, okay. Look. I should enunciate a little better. It's giving me more confidence about the Cardinals. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They're not hitting. They're not fielding particularly well. 
and their bullpen is filled with injuries right now. And every team is going to go through a stretch in a season like the Dodgers are going through right now. Yep. We, we got enamored of the idea that this was a super team that was going to go out and win 110, 115 games this year because, of course, that's what we want. I still think, even though they could end the night with the eighth-best record in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers are clearly far and away the best team and still the team to beat. So it is worth noting that if you look around baseball right now, the Dodgers have the best run differential in the sport. They're a plus 38 on the year. No other team is there. Uh, the White Sox are second right now at plus 37. Nobody else in the sport is higher than plus 31. And that's the Giants who we'll see if that is sustainable. Dodgers have still been so far quite good. They basically they're a game back of where the Cardinals are. They've been solid. But they haven't been as dominant as we all expected them to be. The same thing goes for the Padres, both of whom are at 17 and 14 on the season. By the way, that was Jeff Passan of ESPN. Alex, as I look around, in particular, the National League, I thought when we got to the end of the first month of the season, there would be a little bit more breakaway between the top teams and the middling teams, right? I thought you would see the Padres and the Dodgers through the first 31 games closer to like 21 and 10 or something (laughs) like that. And we just haven't seen it. The NL East, there's not a single team that's above 500 in the NL East so far this year. That was supposed to be the best division in the sport. We've seen so far this year the Nationals, the Phillies, the Mets, the Marlins, four out of the five teams in that in that division. I think you can make a strong case that the Cardinals are better than all four of those teams that they have played so far this year. So as you look around the National League, are you feeling a little better about this version of the Cardinals being able to compete in this league? Oh, 100%. I look at the NL East right now, and I don't see a team that the Cardinals couldn't beat in a five-game series. And that's including the Braves. And I know we haven't seen them, but the Braves aren't the Braves from last year. I mean, Marcelo Zuna is not hitting the same way he was last year, so that takes a massive hit to them. Their pitching was a big question going into this season. And then again, I mean, the Nationals, to me, are a team that looks like they're going to be they're going to be sellers at that trade deadline because they don't look like a team that has everything together. And maybe it turns around. Mets have pitching. Their offense is a little up in the air. And then the Marlins and Phillies are the Marlins and Phillies. For me right now, the Cardinals are the third best team in the National League. And I could argue that I could see them at least competing with the Dodgers or Padres in the seven-game series from what I've seen from them. Dodgers' big thing is going to be can they stay healthy. Because when you play that long of a season... Dustin May going down is not a small thing. And look at their pitching. I mean, they're without um, the the, the former Brewers relief pitcher who they acquired. I'm trying to... uh, Corey Kniebel. Without him, um, Kelly's out. Their pitching has taken a massive hit. And then Kershaw's not Kershaw this season. So their their part is going to be, can they stay healthy after playing and deep into the season like they did last year and winning the World Series? Padres are always so like, are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? I think they'll be the good. Pitching's been great. Their offense hasn't come around quite yet. And the you way kind we of look at that too. with Tatis Jr. And you're saying, okay, is that injury going to kind of peak back here? So for me, Cardinals are the third best team in the National League. And that's not like for now. Like they look like over the season, they'll be in this spot because it seems like this is sustainable for them. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they're the third best team right now. I think the Braves are right there with them. I understand they're struggling. I think that offense is going to get things turned around. I don't think Albies is hitting right now. Uh, like you mentioned, Ozuna's not Ozuna from last season. But I still look at it that they are way behind on the Padres and the Dodgers. It's just the slow start. And as things start to, 
we get deeper into the season, it starts to warm up. We're really going to see the Dodgers' offense really get clicking. The offense for the Dodgers, as you mentioned, BK, that run differential, they've been really good so far this year. Padres are the same way. They're I, I love their pitching, and it's so good it makes me emotional. Very, and I lo- going through a Ferrari went through yesterday. And then I look at the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are still the Dodgers. Yes, the Dustin May injury is not that bad, but hell, they had a Cy Young Award winner, David Price, in their bullpen to start the season. So they're going to be fine. Cardinals third best team but really far away from the Padres and Dodgers still. I think that's fair to say that they're I like I almost throw the Padres and Dodgers into a different category and then let's talk about the rest of the league because those two teams are just so astronomically different they're playing in a different league that basically than everybody else the Braves are the one that's interesting to me Alex kind of getting back to your point with them we focus so much on the Cardinals on a day-to-day basis and the ups and the downs of the season that sometimes it's harder for us to take the 10,000-foot view. Let's go ahead and look at the Braves, for example. You mentioned Marcelo Zuna's not hitting. It's not just that he's not hitting. He's been awful so far this year. He's batting 195 with an OPS of 570. His wins above replacement, which is not my favorite metric, but I think it tells a story here, is negative. He's been worse so far this year than your average major leaguer is basically what that's telling you. Dansby, Dansby Swanson so far. He's hitting 215 for the Braves. Freddie Freeman, he's batting 210 for the Braves. Even Ozzy Albies is batting 230 on the season for the Braves. The only guy that's been great for them, and he's been amazing, is Ron, Ronald Acuna Jr. He's been one of the best players so far in the sport this year. He's keeping them afloat along with their pitching. So we talk about the struggles for the Cardinals, and we talk about DeYoung not hitting quite yet, and uh, uh, Goldschmidt not quite being up to his typical levels. That's happening all over the place. Guys like this that are not performing is how you end up with the worst batting average for a month of April since 1968. And that's what we just witnessed in baseball. So I think that the Cardinals, for me right now, I would have we're power ranking the National League. I would have them as the third best team in the league right now. I would have them above the Braves. I would have them above above anybody else that you can throw out there for the East. And in fact, I might even go so far as to say, depending on what happens with Christian Yelich. I think you can make a case that the third and the fourth best team in the National League are currently in the National League Central with the Milwaukee Brewers being right there behind the Cardinals. I think the Brewers, from what we've seen from these teams, are better than any of those teams that we've seen in the National League East. Is, is that unfair to say so far, in your guys' opinion? The Brewers are better than the Nationals? Yeah, I don't think Nationals, that's... the Mets, Braves, anybody that the NL East could throw at you. I think the Brewers, I would take them right now above those teams. Um, I think I would still take the Mets because I, I feel like they have a roster that's just underperforming right now. I, I mean, if you're taking the Brewers, they're taking the Brewers because of their pitching. And I mean, the Mets pitching has been awesome this season, too. It's just their offense hasn't given them any support. The Brewers offense has been able to give them support, but it hasn't been a whole lot. The Mets have scored 76 runs this year. Yeah. Holy cow. 76. Let me give you a little context for this. The Cardinals have scored 138. (laughs) That is insane that they are that. I mean, their offense has been horrendous so far this year. And I feel like that will turn around. Like, I feel like Michael Conforto is not going to be hitting 200 this season. Lindor is not going to be a strikeout machine. Pete Alonzo was awesome in that first game against the Cardinals going three for four. Their offense would turn around. So for me, I would take the Mets over the Brewers, but the Brewers are a pretty damn close second with those two teams. See, I'm with you, BK. I think the Brewers are the fourth best team. The Yelich thing will be a big 
difference, but they've got yeah. the pitching to where they can. Did you see yesterday they said that he's going to be out for a while again. He's going back on the injured well, list. I, I this thought, this I thing's thought concerning. I was, I thought I was misreading something because I watched the, their first game against, I think it's the Phillies who they're playing right now, and he was in the lineup. And then I see he's back on the I.L. I'm like, well, hold on. Didn't he just come off the I.L.? Yeah. So very concerning. But, yeah, right now I think they are the fourth best team. They're pitching will keep them afloat, especially their offense. Right now, their offense, they had to send Hira down to the minor leagues because he's not hitting anything. Their outfield's kind of underperformed so far. But yeah, I think they're the fourth best team. I'm not big on the Mets. I would, I, I could see the Mets finishing third or worse in that NL East. That NL East is going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out over the course of the year. I would still take the Braves at the top of the division, but... I'd put maybe Miami second. Yeah. They've you, got great young pitching. You could throw that thing into a blender, tell me which one comes out of it, and I'd believe you. I, I, I'm not like super high on one and super low on any of the others. They're all kind of the same to me. And I, because of that, I feel like I, I'm feeling a little better about the Brewers right now than I am anybody coming out of the East. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 113. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is going to join us coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, you give us two options, we'll tell you which one's more likely to happen. More likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen you give us two options we'll tell you which one is more likely i like this one from the 314 guys now remember one of these has to happen you're telling me which one's more likely. So i don't get to ride the fence then huh more likely that tyler o'neill makes the all-star game or johan oviedo wins at least 10 games this year o'neill makes the all-star game Oviedo wins at least double-digit games this season. I'll go with Oviedo because you didn't say if that was at the major league or the minor league level. Okay, come on. Oh, that's a good point, actually. If if you're going to play this game, you got to be specific with me. And I think Oviedo could be a 12-game winner in the minors. Let's let's put that clarification in. Okay, fine, fine, fine. This is all about the major league roster. I think you have to go Tyler O'Neill well here. And look, I don't think Tyler O'Neill gets into the all-star game. I mean, there's too many good outfielders in the national league for him to get in. Frankly, I think what? Dylan Carlson gets in before Tyler O'Neill does, but I don't see Oviedo being up here enough to get 10 victories. He has what zero right now because they're both no decisions. It is too difficult to be a spot starter or a guy who fills in and win 10 games in a season. So I'll go with Tyler O'Neill. See, I think it's more likely Oviedo could get 10 wins because I agree with you. I don't think O'Neill's going to be an all-star, but you can always get lucky into a couple of wins. Let's be honest. But you got to start them, a lot you, of games. No, if you get put in the bullpen, which could be a possibility, especially in September, you come in, you pitch an inning, nice and then they blow up. I see what you did. No, but I don't see him being in a bullpen. I, I see it's either September you're the road. might be. Yeah, but you ain't get 10 wins out of a bullpen in September. Who, there was a former reliever not too long ago that had like 12 out of the pen. I can't not, remember the not name. Not one month, though. No, but I, what I'm saying is I think he could win a couple getting some of these sixth spot yeah. starts, which I think he will. September, maybe he's in the pen pitching high leverage situations. He gets a couple of wins. I think that's more likely to happen than Tyler O'Neill hey, being an all-star. I was on board with you because I said he's going to get it in the minors. I'm going to go with Oviedo winning 10 games as well. Uh, I like Tyler O'Neill. I've been impressive with what... Don't wh- boom me. I've been impressed with what he's done so far this season, but I'm not going to BKO the guy. I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, get off this train. I So I'll yeah, go Johan Oviedo winning at least him. 10 games. It just... 
I think it's in play that he ends up in the rotation. I don't think that's a wild thing to believe because John Gann hasn't been great lately. So if, if Johan Oviedo's awesome the next two starts and he shows you something and you want to see more of that in the big leagues as opposed to sending him down to AAA, it's in play that he could be your fifth starter moving forward. So I'll go Johan Oviedo, yeah, we so, all, even though both are unlikely. We always know, though, that Mike Schilt goes with the veteran and it feels like if it's the option between Gant and Oviedo, they're going to send Oviedo down and keep playing Gant. No, that's fair. You make a good point there. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. More likely to happen. Matthew Liberatore? Or Alex Reyes is in the Cardinals starting rotation next year. More likely to be in the Cardinals rotation next year. Liberator or Reyes? I think Liberator. I I honestly believe Reyes is projecting as a reliever going forward. As we mentioned earlier with the Mocha where he talked about uh, efficiency with his pitches. Well, that's something he can't have as a starter if you're not hitting the strike zone. And with the Hicks injury, he's going to be closing. I we all said it seems like Hicks is going to be gone for, I think we said minimum four to six weeks. I said by the end of May, we'll know Reyes' role. If he's still the closer then, he's definitely going to be a bullpen piece next year because he's not going to go from 70-some-odd innings to 200. So I'm going to say Libertor will be in the starting rotation more likely than Reyes. Yeah, I'll say Libertor too um, because I think Reyes not only is a, is a future reliever, but I think he's the closer of this team. I don't think that's going to change now, especially from what they've seen this year. And if he continues on this track, I mean, look, if Reyes is a, cl- is a closer for you and he's an all-star, like, how do you take him out of that role next season because you want him to be a starter? You say so, we want him to be a starter. Well, you also look at the other guys and you say, well, we got these starters and, you know, Max Scherzer sitting out here. Maybe we'll do this and put you there and X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, Levator is going to be in the rotation, I would imagine, next year. But Reyes isn't coming out of that closer role. I'm so sad about this, guys. I really wanted to see Alex Reyes as a starter for this team. As Justin Timberlake once said, cry me a river. I think it's going to happen, and I don't think it's going to happen for Alex Reyes. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation next year. I think that both of you, which said so eloquently, is is correct. I think Alex Reyes is going to end up being the closer of the future and the present for the Cardinals, and I do not think that this Jordan Hicks situation helps his case to be in the rotation next year. So I'm going to go with Matthew Libertor is much more likely to be in the rotation next year for the Cardinals in the big league club than Alex Reyes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. Guys, more likely to happen for the Cardinals this year. They make the World Series or they miss the playoffs. Make the World Series or miss the playoffs. Which one of those two scenarios is more likely for the Cardinals? I don't see this team missing the playoffs, so I'll say the World Series, and I feel that's unlikely, but I don't see... Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. All right, I'm excited. Yeah, well, here we go, apparently. But Ferrario is on board. Welcome aboard the train, man. They're not missing the playoffs, guys. I mean, we just talked about how bad the NL East is. You might get one playoff team from the NL East where we came into the season saying, oh, only one team from the NL Central is going to make the playoffs. You might get three teams from the NL Central making the playoffs for how bad the everyone Reds. else is. Oh, it's the Reds. I get a six-pack from BK. <laughs> Remembered that one too. I did not remember hey, that. I need four Damn. more goals from Mike Hoffman for a butt cheek tap for BK. <laughs> it never was agreed upon. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I'll find the audio. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm going with the Cardinals in the World Series because I just don't see a scenario of them missing the playoffs. I'm with you. If you asked this question a couple weeks ago, I probably would have been the other way around. But the NL East does not look very good. I think one team's coming from there. Two are coming from the West. I, I could see Milwaukee winning this division, but I don't know if anybody else could surpass the Cardinals for that second wild card spot. I'm going World Series. What the hell? Let's get wild. Why not? Oh, no, no. We never agreed to that. 
I don't think this team on. is missing the playoffs. I think that it is almost a mandate of sorts, kind of like the Blues, right, where they, they knew this season had to be about making the playoffs. Revenue-wise, there's a million different reasons as to why they would want that to take place. I think the Cardinals are in the same spot right now. You've got Wayno in what could be his final year in the big leagues. Same thing for Yadier Molina. You just traded for a superstar, Nolan Arenado. This team is not missing the playoffs this year. If they got to make a big move at the deadline, I think this is one of those seasons when they would be willing to do so. I know that's not been the MO for John Moselock, but I do think that's something he could consider this year. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. (laughs) This one comes from the uh, 636. Guys, more likely to happen. Somebody throws a beer on BK tonight at the Cardinals game or BK oversleeps and misses the start of the Danny Mac show tomorrow. I'm going to the Cardinals game tonight. I got two for the price of one. Man, there's a lot of beer that's going to be consumed at this one. As much as I want somebody to come by and throw beer. And remember the caveat here. Throw it on BK, not on Kara. Do not get his fiance wet with beer. Just BK. But I think it's more likely that you oversleep because I don't know. You might go home and do yoga after the game because you'll be drunk. So drunk yoga, hot yoga. I've always said, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me when I get hammered is yoga. go home and do huh. some yoga. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, how do you, you got to get it out of your system somehow and you do some exercise and you're going to make sure that it comes I'll just, out. I'll just sleep. Alex, though. we live very different lives, my man. Hey, you know what? You go home at one o'clock in the morning after a long blues game and you say, why not do some P90X? Wasn't sure what was coming after that. You started with the P there. I was like, whoa. Okay. Tanner, more likely to happen. Someone throws oh, yeah, a that beer been at weird. me tonight. Or I oversleep and miss the start of the Danny Mac show tomorrow. Now, a reminder, I did miss the start of Stalter and Rivers once, which started at 10 o'clock. And they almost sent a wellness check on me. We almost called oh. the cops. It's true. I'm glad they did that for you. Almost. I'm going to say more likely you oversleep. I don't think someone's going to walk Man. by. I would, you I would actually have, kind of hope that no gotta, one walks by and puts a beer on you because that's kind of a... That's you, kind of a and you got to have some gonads to walk by somebody and pour I beer on I feel like that is far more likely. I am, at this point, guys, I am so anxious about oversleeping after what took place almost this time last year, about a year ago. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. It breaks you, man. It never happened. You oversleep once, and then you wake up every hour worried that you overslept and you don't get any sleep. Yeah, it's much more likely that somebody's going to throw a beer at me tonight. There are plenty of listeners that are just waiting for their opportunity. And I I don't blame them. Do I get blamed for that if that happens? Are you serious? Of course you do. You did bring it up. I will... For what it's worth, Tanner, if the woos start tonight early, I am blaming you for that. Nobody but you. Don't and worry, it's a I'm double saying- header, so there's going to be some people that have been out there for six, seven hours. It could get a little Don't ugly there. Worry. At the I'm end. president sure the of the woo and the loo. Are we going to get loud ones tonight? Oh, you bet we are. This is going to be the loudest you've heard it. And I hope, I hope since B- the season started. I hope BK gets somebody behind him that just oh, every yes. every at bat is just woo. I'm going to be right every like. Bitch. In his ear. I'm in the upper deck tonight, right behind home play, section 450. That's woo territory. (laughs) And I'm just fully prepared that I signed up exactly for being in the spot where those woos are going to be coming from. I know that's going to happen. I'll I'll send a tweet out just to remind everybody to let the woos fly. 431st pitch, so the first one should come right about 435. Beer at the ball games are too expensive. That, that's that's very true. That's fair. Unless somebody finds one random and sit there and picks it up and then dumps it on you. 
for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That would be that, a bold right? strategy. Who would do that? Hey, give Alex a follow on Twitter. He's Whoa. at Ferrario101ESPN. We gotta we gotta up our Twitter game here. Tanner, you gotta give Tanner Hendricks a follow. He yeah, was complaining the during the break. He was like, hey, nobody, nobody follows me. It's at T-Bone, T-B-O-N-E, 101 ESPN. We gotta get him some followers. We gotta at least cross the hundred follower threshold hey, by the end of the yeah, show. We need today. to do something that Randy does. Randy gives out carrot cake to people if they <laughs> Follow him on Instagram, so maybe you need to start offering things. things. I'll cook you a hot dog. (laughs) That sounded very inappropriate. He's at (laughs) T-Bone101 ESPN. I'm at BK Sports Talk. You can follow us, all of us, on the socials. Coming up next, we'll talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Tanner, you good, man? You, you good, buddy? I don't know what's going on here today, guys. You're, you're one update away from from like questioning your own first name, and nobody would ever do that on an update. <laughs> yeah. Or forget a quarterback's name. No, Alex would never do such a thing. Never forget Andy Dalton. It's okay. I forgot Krug's first name earlier, so it's fine. And Mackenzie McEachern in the second fine. update. Everything's fine. Uh, speaking of fine, right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown Name Group and Celebrity Line to talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Fellas, I'm awesome. Just can't wait for a game tonight. It's going to be a good one, and let's start where Tanner was talking about with that update. It is going to be a pretty cool scene tonight, I would imagine, as David Backus returns to St. Louis for, I would think, what might be his final game in the league. What do you think this scene's going to be like for him? I think it's going to be very emotional for him. We talked to him a couple of days ago uh, and, and kind of asked him about the emotions. He, he remembered his and talked about his emotions in his first game back. You know, after he signed with Boston, and uh, he expects it to be very emotional. He's going to have his mom and dad uh, in town tonight. They were at his first game ever that he played in the NHL when he broke in with the Blues against the Pittsburgh Penguins up in Pittsburgh, and uh, they'll be here tonight. And, yeah, there is – you know, he he hasn't announced anything official. I don't believe that he's going to announce anything official because, let's face it, no need to. I mean, things could change. There's an expansion team coming in that could open some jobs, and so why – you know why? Why lock yourself in? You know if you, if you don't have to, but there is a uh, there, there is a good chance that this could be his final game in the National Hockey League, and uh, and and if it is, honestly, I'm as just as a fan, I'm I'm glad I get to call it. It's he, he was a terrific St. Louis Blue. You know, it's funny. You got that one curbs, which is a storyline going into this one. And then, of course, the opportunity for the Blues to clinch a playoff spot, which really opens up so many possibilities for the final five games of the regular season when it comes to players in the lineup, players out of the lineup. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities that Craig Berube could go with if they clinch a playoff spot. So it's, it's really amazing. I mean, we did, what, 30 minutes in the postgame show on it, and yeah. we, we, we were still coming up with scenarios when the clock ran out. So <laughs> I think uh, – but you just got to take care of business. And that probably should be a motivating factor. We, we, we talked to Braden Shen this morning. They're all very much aware of what the situation is. They know that they, to, to clinch a playoff spot, they have to take care of business on their own, but they'll still need a little help, uh, from LA if they're, if they're going to, or from Arizona if they're going to do it today. But the, you're absolutely right. Whatever the scenario is of, do some players even have to travel to Las Vegas? and L.A. for those three games in four nights? Do, uh, do, would they even play? Do you travel them but don't play? How do you set the lineup up? 
Uh, do you let some guys get some extra rehab days in? That kind of stuff. I mean, there's there's a ton of scenarios and freedom that come with it, and it comes because you know you're not going to be playing against. Uh, you're not. It's not like you get in and say, okay, now we're still playing for home ice, right? It's it's simply put, uh, you're in. You're the fourth seed. You can set your roster the way you want. Now the flip side is that up for that is you've you've righted the ship. You've played some really really good hockey down the stretch. You want to be careful not you not to take yourself out of the rhythm that you found. Now, one of the lines that has been so instrumental in the Blues turning this thing around curbs is the Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou, Mike Hoffman line. They, they've looked great lately. What have you seen that has stood out to you, especially from Thomas, where it, it seems like he's starting to put things together this year? You know, the, the key for a third line, Brandon, is the fact that if you are as deep as the Blues are and you're playing some other teams, you're hoping it's somewhere along the line you're going to get a, a mismatch of skill. And the challenge is, is it's, it's not that different, between, especially if Donskoy, for example, is back on a line with Brandon Saad with Colorado, right? And you've got depth, obviously, throughout that lineup with, with Las Vegas. But you saw against in those, in those three games in Minnesota where they started to have success, the Wild aren't as deep at forward. They're just not. And, and so with those guys going, they were able to take advantage of some, some I, I think, some mismatches there. And to do it, you just got to still outwork the other team. I was encouraged and go back to those last couple games against Colorado. That's when that line got put together. And you're sitting there going, okay, there's one of two things is going to happen here. They're going to find themselves and they're going to be okay. Or they could get exposed because of Colorado's depth. And you know what? They showed up, and, and they were okay, and they built off of that. And so I think what you found is one, Robert Thomas feeling a little bit healthier, uh, Jordan Cairo feeling a little more confident, and frankly, I love the fact that on the other side of them is a shooter because those other two guys can just go get the puck. And, yes, they have to shoot the puck, and Jordan Cairo can snipe it, but they, they have to go get the puck for him. But Mike Coffin's like, I'm going to get open. You guys find me. And it's working. And I love I love what's developing on that line. I, I do too, Curbs. And then the other one is kind of what we talked about on postgame as well. How do you get the fourth line going? Now, I know it's going to look a little different tonight because you don't have Sammy Blay or Tarasenko. Mackenzie McEachern's going to get back in along with Kyle Clifford. But, but how do you get this fourth line going if you're Craig Berube? Because I think that's important in a playoff series as well. You know, to be honest with you, I don't think right now – you're overly worried about it because, or concerned about it. And the reason I say that is, what, what can you do? I mean, I, when I talked to Baruby this morning for our coaches show, Alex, but before, you know, before we, we hit the record button, I was talking about the injuries, and I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. I mean, not, it's Vince Dunn. It's Vladimir Tarasenko. It's Sammy Blay. And they're all out, right? I'm like, I've, I've never seen a season like this before. And so, Again, you went from a couple of games ago, you found success where they decided, heck, we're not even going to build a fourth line. We're going to go with an extra D-man. That worked because one of your D-men left the game in the first period, right? Then then you go back to the fourth line, and Sammy Blay gets moved down to it when the forwards get healthy, and that looks like that could be pretty good. And now Zach Sanford's in the top. Like, there just hasn't been enough consistency of players. There just hasn't been enough consistency of players uh, to, to be able to um, to be able to find any type of real game there, so 
to me, to me, the fourth line is just going to have to find its stride when, when you hit the playoffs, and you hope that guys are going to bring it because there, there has just not been enough, I guess the right way to say it, enough regular line consistency on that for, for me to, to really find any kind of uh, – I don't know, characteristic. I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Personality to that line. I have. I can't find the right word for it. But I, I have to hang that one on just injuries. To be honest with you, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, my final question that I've got for you is kind of NHL expanded, and it's not just on the Blues. It's a situation that we've seen unfold over the last couple of days with Tom Wilson. I haven't heard your thoughts on this, but I would be curious to hear them from you. Uh, Artemi Panarin was roughed up. Tom Wilson got him. It's middle of a scrum, and uh, we've all seen the video by now. The NHL, the real reaction to this is that they've announced they have given Tom Wilson a $5,000 fine. That is the maximum that they are allowed to give to him, but there was no suspension that was involved with this. When you saw the incident, you saw the video, and then you saw what the punishment was, what was your reaction, Curbs? So my initial reaction was I didn't like the punch to the head of Butchnevich more than I didn't like the the pounding of Panarin. I didn't like the fact that Tom Wilson pins the guy's head on the ice and punches him in the face, right? Um, that's frankly what he got fined five thousand dollars for. There, there, boy, there's a lot of different angles. I'm sure we'll jump into this in the fourth period tonight. But the but there's. Uh, I didn't like the fact that it was Tom Wilson that did it. I think that had to play a role in the league, and I think the league should have done more to Tom Wilson because Tom Wilson knows who he had in his grasp. And, and he knew that. And, and the other thing, and I've talked to a couple players about this, the one thing that's kind of permeating through players, and it's an intriguing one because it gives you a vibe of what's going on around the league, they're like, it was the fact that they know that Tom Wilson knew that this guy didn't have his helmet on, right? And so they, they really do feel like that there was some intent to injure there. And when you base, you base Tom Wilson on his history and stuff, you have to do that. So I think the league could have, could have suspended Tom Wilson for that. The challenge that you have, guys, this is where everybody's got to be careful and say, oh, it should have been this suspension, should have been that. Did you see what happened the next night when Sidney Crosby does the same thing to Konechny? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, you're like, okay, well, he kind of rolled him in the wrestling match. Now, if you're Artemi Panarin, you know that when you're, albeit give him props for going into a toughness to try and pull Tom Wilson off, but you're going to lose that physics battle any day during the week. I have a problem with the statement the New York Rangers put out. Um, there are rules in the game that allow you to do it. I, I don't think the Rangers have built a roster with enough toughness on it to, to win in the regular season or in the postseason. And when you don't have some extra grit in your lineup, then you, you, you leave your guys exposed. And so, you know, you, you've got a veteran guy in John Davidson that's the president of that hockey team, and he knows it. He absolutely knows it. So I'm, I'm not a fan of the statement. I think the Rangers came out kind of sounding like, like whiners on that one. Uh, you, you now know how you can handle it on the ice. You know, call somebody up from the minor leagues. Do something about it. But uh, I, I didn't like – I don't like the fact that it was Tom Wilson. I think the league could have been smarter about that. I agree with what the Rangers are saying and the fact that I don't believe there's been real consistency in the Department of Player Safety this year. I, for the life of me, don't know how Sammy Blay gets a two-game suspension and Mark Stone was never punished yeah. for the hit on, on Tyler Bozak. So I believe they had a point. 
I just don't believe they went about it the right way, and I think the New York Rangers are about to get stuck with a massive fine. It's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You'll hear him tonight on the call for Blues versus Ducks. Should be a good one. You'll hear pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 6. Puck drop coming up at 7 o'clock in what very well could be David Backus' final game in the NHL. Pretty cool that it could potentially happen here in St. Louis. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to the call tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Have a great rest of your day. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. Really enjoyed catching up with uh, Ryan Ludwig earlier today. Also, uh, our interview that we did on the Danny Mac show with Aaron Miles earlier was fantastic. So check those out over on the podcast page. Very happy to cross things over with the fast lane. We've got Stolter in studio. Stoltz, what's going on, man? Got a lot going on today. We got Cardinals games. We've got we've got a Blues game later on tonight, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Of course, it's our uh, it's our main man Chris Duncan's birthday. He would have been forty today, so we're gonna talk to Amy, his wife, oh, awesome. and BT's gonna join us at two fifteen to kind of reminisce a little bit about Dunk as well, since it's uh, Cinco de Mayo and it's Dunk's birthday. So and no better. It, it couldn't have been any other day. No, for, for Dunk's birthday. No. Uh, by the way, join us on, speaking of Dunk, June 16th down at the Bud Deck at Budweiser Brew House in Ballpark Village for Dunctionary Day. The Cardinals will host the Marlins that day. It's noon, 12-15 uh, first pitch. You can check us out over at the Bud Deck. Enjoy the game with views looking right into Bush Stadium. Tickets will include a hot dog, a beer, a Dunctionary t-shirt with a portion of every ticket purchased donating to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. We'll be broadcasting live down there for BK and for the fast lane will be down there as well. You can check out all of the uh, details. Check out the tickets as well. It's all over at 101ESPN.com. Stoltz, I heard you earlier today on with Carriker and Smallman talking about Dunk, but I, I would imagine, I mean, all of us loved him. You got to work with him, though, every day. Uh, what 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 immediately comes to mind for you as you, you kind of think back about that specific time of you you guys working together every day? You know, you know what's interesting? So I got off the phone today with uh, Michelle and Randy and BT had sent me a text. He he had heard he, the the interview and he was uh, he was like, hey, you know, you know, great job. It was a very nice text message. And I texted him back. I go, you know, it's funny. I don't know how long I was on, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it was. I'm like, but I still didn't, I, I, I truly didn't feel like I did him justice in telling people who he was. And I know a lot of people feel like, a lot, a lot of people know him based on, you know, what he did here in St. Louis as a, as a ball player. Obviously his dad and working so closely with Tony LaRusso over those years. Uh, but I got to know him not only after his playing days, but uh, I mean, a lot of the time that we spent together was after the cancer diagnosis. Yep. So to see to see who he was, not the and he was the lovable, affable, funny, uh, you know, beer drinking partier like BT got to know during his baseball days. And like, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to a lot of his high school buddies when we went to Arizona for his funeral service, kind of knowing that, you know, getting to know that dunk. I knew the guy that was dealing with with cancer and 
you wouldn't have known it because he never changed. He was always, always a hard worker, always brought energy. Even on the days where he had chemo treatment, uh, there was shows where before the show he had chemo. And, you know, there were times where he would wait for a break and then, you know, literally, you know, go throw up and then come back and do the segment. And people didn't know that that was one of the toughest human beings I have ever had a chance to get to know personally on top of being a hard worker, on top of being funny, on top of telling the absolute best stories I've ever heard. So in other words, I felt in that text message BT, I'm like, I can't encapsulate who he was. And that's part of the beauty that, that was Chris Duncan. Yeah, it's it's everything. And I'm, I'm sure you guys will get into this more during your show. And I, I certainly did not know him the way that you did. But I would just like, oh, whether it be crossing over with you guys or getting to know him through you in a lot of ways. Honestly, sure. watching you guys do the show together and you talking about what the show was like and everything. Um, and it was just... Like, the thing that always stood out to me that I would imagine a lot of people didn't see is his work ethic. Yeah. Like, the guy would come in with copious notes on defensive numbers. Yeah. Like, you guys, you would do, like, the the Dunks Notebook stuff, right, where he is coming through. And I hope it came through on the air, and I think it did, but he wanted to be so good at this. And yeah. he wanted to make sure that people knew, hey, I'm putting in the time. I'm not just a former ball player that's Chris Duncan, the World Series champion for the Cardinals. I... I really care about making sure that I'm getting this stuff right. Yeah. And he would break it down in a way that very few have the ability to, much less have the care to actually dive into the numbers for. And that's that's what always stuck out to me with Dunk was just how damn hard he worked to be great at this. Yeah, well said. It wasn't enough for Dunk to just do it and rely on the fact that he played the game. And and we have worked with, for, we're so fortunate. I mean, whether it was, Dunk or DeMarco Farr or now Brad Thompson, Jamie Rivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get to work with guys that do not lean on their experiences. Yeah, when that comes comes into fray, they'll they'll go to those experiences, but they want to be great at the other at the other sports as well. BT's like that, Jamie's like that, uh, and and Dunk was like that, and it was such an honor to to work with him. And guy was intense. I mean, it was great. We used to get in the screaming matches on the phone sometimes over the dumbest things. Uh, but he also taught me because I'm an only child. He also taught me what it was like to have a brother because I remember after one fight. I mean, we were, he hung up on me twice. And I'm like, screw this. I'm going to keep calling him back. <laughs> we were arguing on the phone getting something stupid. And um, we were out, out at Rams Park, in fact, because it, it was one of the training camp days. And um, I pulled him aside. I'm like, hey, man, we you know we should talk about this. And and he's like, oh, he's like, Shelly and I fight all the time. You and I are brothers. That's what brothers do. And I'm like, okay, sounds I good. Guess this is just how it goes. Yeah. So he taught he taught me so much uh, more than baseball. It was he taught me about life. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to that with you guys today, being able to reminisce on some of that stuff. Uh, much more than just that coming up from two to six. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.